1: Welcome to the GGTMC.
2: Welcome.
1: Ah ah ah. This is episode 319. We're not going to count like the count. Count Von Count, thereby. <laughs>
2: All the way to 319.
1: Yeah, there's a whole episode. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Um, this week's episode is sponsored by dear friends at Diabolic DVD. Uh, it was my turn to pick the episode. Um and we are going to be talking about uh, two films from one director this week. We're going to be talking about well, before I get into that, since it's my first time doing this thing, let me uh, <laughs> let me let me say who the other count is south of the border. My yes. good pal Sam U Rye.
2: That's right. Also known as on my uh, my other handle is Count Ejacula.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right, man. I think there was actually a Canadian-made. Um, Horror porno film from like this late seventies called that. Nice, nice, I think, and I believe that like Wrightman or someone prominent was an executive producer.
2: If there isn't a porn film called County Ejacula, then that is a and shame, and I may have just given away money.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you're giving away money, they're giving away something else, man. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, and they could spin it off. They could do, like, the Count Blockula Ejacula. There's lots of possibilities.
2: Did, uh, did you say spin it off or spit it off? I, I couldn't understand that. I'm Both. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: shine that knob there, bite.
1: You a shine, man. You gotta spit shine. Um, but uh, we're going to be doing two films this week from one director, courtesy of our friends at Diabolic, as we'd said. Uh, the first film in chronological order will be 1973's The Long Goodbye little film uh, starring the king of the 70s, Elliot Gould. Well, arguably the king of the 70s. Yeah,
2: one of the the kings of the 70s, surely.
1: Yeah, certainly one of the kings of the 70s. Uh, And he followed that up a year later with a film that I'd never actually, truth be told, uh, even really heard of, um, other than in passing. So uh, that was his 1974 effort, Thieves Like Us. But Kino Lorber, who's doing great work, as we've said before, uh put these two out and we figured it was time to get some Altman. We shockingly had never done any Altman on our yeah. show. None. None that I can think of. So yeah, very strange. So um we'll get to those. Let's get to this. Uh we're in the beginnings well, I'm in the beginning stages. You are in the midst of cram. Yes. Because every week that passes there's one week less we have to cram for our glorious year end show. So what have you been watching this week, sir?
2: All right. I've been watching a few things. I'm trying to get uh, logged into my Letterboxd account, so I'm trying to kill time in that professional manner that you sometimes do.
1: Uh, vamping, to bring it back <laughs> to the original.
2: <laughs> yes. The opening. Vamping. Count Jacula is vamping.
1: Well, yeah, opening, <laughs> I guess, is a double entendre now, isn't it? <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. Um, I've been watching a few things. I've uh, been, like you said, I've been cramming a little bit, but I've also taken a couple breaks because, you know, we always talk about this, that. Cramming can, uh, after a while, become quite the tedious affair.
1: You get numb um, from cramming. Another Yeah, couple and,
2: and I think, honestly, I think it's good to kind of slip in and out <laughs> again, <laughs> double entendre there, yeah. to uh, other stuff because um, it makes you appreciate the stuff you're cramming. Uh, more and more, because I think once you you watch like a certain quality of movie over and over and over again, you sometimes don't give them their fair shake, or maybe you don't even see what you're supposed to be looking at. <laughs> yeah, it gets to uh, be I know that, that's ha- yeah. Toward the end of cramming, it always ends up being an issue for me. It always ends up being mm-hmm. an issue of where I'm like, man, am I going to put this high because I just watched it? Am I going to put this low because I've watched too much? And, and you just expect certain me? things. Yeah, yeah. So so I took a couple breaks this time. So. We'll see. Uh, I watched um, I watched uh, the Sarno's A Life in Dirty Movies. Nice. Um, this is a documentary uh, about uh, Joseph Sarno, who directed uh, mostly softcore porn films. Um, pretty, po- uh, you know, not popular. Most of nudie flicks, stuff like that. But they were well-made, well-written. Uh, kind of a different, you know, before the hardcore boom and things like that. So well, I think Sarno did some hardcore stuff, but, uh, you know, I think inevitably he had to working in that field, but, uh, cause we all know, you know, if we've all seen Boogie Nights, we all know that the, everything changed in that field often and still does to this day. So, Oh yeah. um, but, uh, it's a good little documentary. Uh, it's not bad. It's on Netflix Instant, So you can check it out there. Uh, it was, it was, I, I technically it was a cram. Trying to get my documentaries out of the way early Mm -hmm. um, so I can get into my more, uh, you know, narrative-driven stuff. Uh, Switched over and watched Locke. This is a cram because uh, some people really love it. Some people, you know, like it. I don't know anybody – I haven't heard anybody say they hate it. Um, I I didn't hate it either. I liked it. Uh, It's good. It's good. I I don't know – well – no, I'll be forthright. It's not going to make my top 30, but I did enjoy the film. Uh, Tom Hardy is great. I think he's doing a Welsh accent. I could be wrong about that. If I am, I apologize, but uh, uh, I had an impersonation lined up, but I, I forgot my lines of dialogue here, so I don't <laughs> have it. Uh, come on, Donald, you can do it. it that is sounded strange. like the guy from Rob Schneider doing the Adam Sandler movie thing. Right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so but Locke is good. I mean, it's worth a watch. Uh, I think it could have been shorter. Because of the way it's set up and stuff, uh, maybe could have been just a little over an hour. It may have been a little bit better because I do think there's some filler in there. But still, uh, still, uh, I was entertained. It was well told, and uh, yeah, imp- uh, impressive performance from Tom Hardy, who you know arguably is one of the good, you know, best actors working right now. Best young actors for sure. Yeah. I uh, watched Calvary, which uh, I know you watched as well. Yes, sir. And uh, I quite enjoyed that uh, more than Locke. Again, this one I, I'm kind of up in the air. When I don't know if I'm going to make it. You know, I'm going to wait and see what other stuff I watch. Obviously, I did like it quite a bit. I did have issues with it as well. But uh, the one thing I can say about the same, similar to the same thing I said about Locke, is uh, Brendan Gleeson's performance and it it is brilliant um and oh, yeah. he is one uh-huh. of my favorite actors yeah. uh period and uh this is just more of an example and you know one of the great things about gleason is he's not a he's not a movie matinee idol he is a true uh blue collar looking war uh actor i mean he he has a great look and uh i wish he would work more with like people like the cohen's or something like that but i don't think he's ever worked with them i wish he would he'd, he'd fit in perfect with their group
1: he's got the comedic timing that he can kind of shift between you know Dead serious and comedic timing, perfectly.
2: Yep, and there's some other good performances in the film as well. The film's uh, uh, an interesting experiment in tone, similar to McDonough's first film. This is the other McDonough brother, uh, Well, the first film I saw by him, The Guard. So, but this one does it a little bit better than that one did. Uh, Watch something that had no tone whatsoever, other than one of the the most over the top performances I've seen in some time. Uh, Dom Hemingway. This is a oh Jude gosh. Law film. Uh, this was actually a Netflix rental I'd had sitting on my counter for months. <laughs> I just couldn't bring myself to watch it for some reason. Finally, I decided, you know, I'm going to watch this movie. Uh, not a great movie, but man, does Jude Law go for it. <laughs> does he? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've heard he does. Yeah. He really goes for it. And, uh, I, yeah, you know, like I wouldn't cram it, but maybe sometime if you ever get a chance to watch it, you might want to watch it for the performance because it's pretty, it's pretty bonkers. It's a bonkers one, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, man, that's what I've heard. He's really, really going for it.
2: Oh, yeah, he goes, he goes full tilt. I mean, it's one of those like we always joke. It's one of those performances where Nick Cage is off camera going, "Dude, take it down a notch." Yeah, scare the back. <laughs> <laughs> he might be going too far. Um, but Law is always interesting to look at and uh, and watch, and uh, he doesn't disappoint. Uh, the film is pretty mediocre, but. Uh, he is great. He is. I think he's brilliant in the film. I know some people didn't like him, but I think he's quite brilliant in the movie. So that's interesting. I've three movies in a row now. I've talked about a great uh, central performance, but in a little bit slightly above average film.
1: And I think all of those films have been with um, British actors, right?
2: Yeah, so far. So far, you're yeah. right. Uh, switched gears, went back to documentary world with uh, The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. This is... Uh, uh, the uh, story of Miyazaki, and uh, I can't remember the name of the other gentleman that worked. Oh, the Studio Ghibli. Yeah, the Studio Ghibli stuff. This is kind of following him during his uh, last production. The Wind Also Rises, I believe is what it's called.
1: And this is on Instant, right?
2: No, no, no. no. I had to rent this through iTunes, oh, right, actually. Okay. I didn't even know about this. I didn't even know this was a documentary. I kind of came across it on iTunes by accident. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know much about Miyazaki other than his work. I don't know anything about him. Yeah, same here. And uh, so I, I watched it. and It's very fascinating, you know, very much a Japanese gentleman. He gets up at the same time. He goes to work at the same time every day. He gets done to work at the same time every day. Uh, he's been doing it for I don't know how many years. never takes a day off except Sunday. So, you know, it's just one of those things. Smokes constantly, which is very old school. But you know, he's an older man. But it was, uh, you know, really cool to see this guy working, you know, and just constantly smoking while he's working. <laughs> Uh, which I, like I said, I didn't know, he, I didn't even know he smoked. So, you know, that was fascinating and he gets into his life and, and things like that. And it's, it's, it's good. It's i yeah, I'd say it's worth a cram. I don't think it'll make my top 30, but it might affect people differently.
0: Yeah, so for sure.
2: People should probably check. I, I can certainly recommend it though. It's definitely worth watching. I then watched hide your smiling faces, which I think is something you had seen last year. Uh, no, I think I saw
1: it in the summertime roughly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Which it looks like one of those films. that's like right in the ballpark for something I like, kind of that uh, southern Midwest
1: uh, working childhood. Class.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of wonderment type of film. And uh, this is good. Uh, it's not great. Uh, I I did have some issues with it. Um, one of them being, and I hate to say this because it sounds like an awful insult to the film, but I, I did find myself getting bored and looking away quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's the fault of the film as much as it's just the fault of the, the the story, well, I guess it is the fault of the film, but I just, I don't know. I felt like it was wandering around a little too much looking for something. Now, I understand the, you know, the characters are kind of trying to figure things out, but I felt like the director was trying to figure things out, too, so. Yeah. But it, but it is good. I would still recommend people check it out. It is good. It's just not great, for sure. Uh, Watch a movie called Welcome to the Jungle.
1: Oh, is this the Van
2: Damme one? Yeah, this is the Van Damme one. Now, I watched this purely because I was tired of cramming. It's on Netflix Instant. Van Damme. I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch this. The, the trailer looks stupid. This is 80 minutes long, 85 minutes long. I'm going to watch this stupid thing. Now, this movie's bad, okay? But I got to tell you, I laughed out loud a lot. This movie is it's not well-made. It's very run-of-the-mill. But there are some lines of dialogue and stuff in here that are so fucking funny that I just could not... I, it's rated R comedy, so it, it's harsh. And it goes for it in spots. And it, its it's... <laughs> I would recommend it if people want to watch something with their wife and have a good good laugh, although it's quite piggish. Yeah, my and, wife would be okay with that, then. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she would probably enjoy it. It, it. And Van Damme is hilarious in the movie. I mean, he's hilarious. <laughs> Playing a character named, I think, Storm Thurman or something like that. Is he? So he's not a Quebecois in this, then? Uh, no, of course. Well, of course he still is. They always find a way to work in his uh accent because, you know, yeah. it's so thick. That he can't help it. So That's right. Uh, there is some moments where the comedy is no good. Um, it's really hit and miss, and that's why I say the movie's pretty bad. But, man, when there is a couple of lines of dialogue that I just thought was some of the funniest shit in the world. I, I'll say one line of dialogue out loud uh, uh, here. Uh, there's one scene where they're looking at a, a girl, and a character says, Just one time, I'd like to eat a fortune cookie out of her asshole.
1: Oh, man. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so,
2: just to kind of give you the idea of the kind of humor... Oh,
1: boy, that sounds amazing. This is, uh, what's his name, right? Uh, Oh, gosh, his father did uh, 2010. Hyams. It's a Hyams film, right?
2: No, no, no. This is uh, some new guy. I think his name's Metzler. Mm. He hadn't done much. And, uh, you know, he he did this comedy, and it's got some really funny bits in it. Uh, It's, like I said, it's terribly inconsistent and not very well made as far as there's any style or anything. But, you know, I got to give it props because I laughed. And maybe it's just I was, you know, needed that laugh from all the seriousness. Mm. I just watched hydrosonic faces. So, yeah, uh, it felt good. It felt good to watch. And, uh, you know, I just like I said, middling to maybe average for most people, I think. But if you want a good laugh, I think you can't go wrong. I think it's pretty I think it's pretty funny, actually. So I don't know if I should give it a positive rating or not because I laugh so much. But. Uh, You know, it's one of those confusing moments when you watch a movie and you know the movie's not good, but you laugh anyway. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I don't know.
1: Just ridiculous. They throw the ball enough, they're they're going to hit a few.
2: Yeah, and there's some (laughs) some pretty strong parody elements. It's not full-tilt parody, but there's some pretty strong parody moments in the film. And uh, Jean-Claude's doing a great job of making fun of himself again. Not not, uh, full-tilt like doing splits and all that kind of craziness all the time. (laughs) And even his uh, karate all the time, but but uh, he is kind of making fun of his tough guy image. <laughs> and you know, he finds out one character smoking the Mary, Ju- Mary Juana is what he calls it, Mary Juana, in the film. And he say, he says, "Okay, Kumar, just watch your step." <laughs> 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 Which you know, it, it's pretty, it's reaching, but still, it's funny to hear Van Dam say, "Okay, Kumar." <laughs> no, for sure. Huh. Again, though, you know, he's he's really good in the film, and I, I gotta say, you know, Van Dam. We like we've always talked about, you know, he went through that bad rash of films and the bad period personally, obviously, and professionally, I guess you could say. But he's managed to come out the other end as an interesting actor and, you know, a very self-aware person. And it's really kind of been like a second career for him. this kind of renaissance of the Van Damme uh, persona. So been fun to watch. Oh, definitely. All right. I've talked too much about Welcome to the Jungle. It's not worth all that conversation. <laughs> uh, art and Craft. I watched that today. Uh, this is a documentary about uh, Forger Jack Landis, I believe is his name, uh, Art Forger. Uh, he's an interesting fellow. He copies paintings and stuff, uh, maybe one of the best forgers ever, and he does a lot of it by buying stuff from like Hobby Lobby and places like that, and uh, he's just an interesting dude, and he he doesn't sell his work, so he's technically not a criminal, but he just donates his work
1: yeah, to um, um, museums and stuff, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, and he's, they they you know, he's, obviously, if you see the film, he has psychological issues very strong. They get into that, too, uh, and, you know, how he ended up, like, wh- where he's at and what he's doing and things like that. So, fascinating guy, uh, fascinating movie. I don't know if it'll make my top 30, but it's certainly, in the realm, it's certainly worth the cram, no doubt about that. Uh, just, he's way too interesting not to talk about and uh, not to have a a good conversation. I'm glad the film exists because I knew about this guy, but I knew nothing about him Mm -hmm. other than an article I had read one point in time. And uh, I always thought to myself, man, if he, he could make a ton of money, if he, you know, wanted to be an art, you know, forger, he could be like this, you know, really rich guy. But, you know, I always found it fascinating that he, he wanted his, his thing wasn't, he didn't want to be a forger and make lots of money. He just wanted to be a philanthropist. Oh, (laughs) wow. It's very bizarre. It's a very bizarre, you know, and and if you see the film, you'll kind of understand why I think why he is in that spot and stuff. But like the best documentaries, you know, you find a subject like this guy. He's uh, utterly fascinating at every turn. I can never figure out what what and why. And uh, that's what makes I think documentary film so interesting sometimes is that, you know, we can't explain human behavior. It just is sometimes so very interesting. Uh, that's it though. I was watching something else uh, to get out of the cram mode again earlier. I've started watching I don't know Jack, which is a documentary about Jack Nance, the actor that worked uh, that was in Racerhead. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I had known about this film forever, and I'd never even thought to look for it and stuff. And somebody on one of the Facebook groups, or maybe just on my Facebook feed, posted a YouTube link. So I was watching some of that earlier, and we're gonna finish that up because Jack Nance is a interesting uh, individual, or was an interesting individual. So there you go. There you go, bite. Man, I think I've watched a lot of films. I didn't talk
1: about Fox your last episode, did I?
2: No, no, no. You have watched a lot of films. Because Damn. I think once you hit the crammed uh, nozzle, yeah. you tweak that bad boy.
1: Yeah, man. I've been. It's like that thing today where I was like, do I sleep or do I watch Rover? Do I sleep or do I watch Rover? You know? <laughs> It's one of those. Um, I watched for me. F-
2: for me, uh, after seeing Rover, I watch Rover. I don't sleep.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it was it was one heck of a film. That's for sure. I watched a <laughs> film called Dangerous Obsession, and now I don't remember what it is. And I gave it a seven point two. Oh, was this? Am going to waste a lot of time fucking around on this? You know what? I'm going to look it up, and then I'm going to talk about something else in the meantime. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I watched Foxcatcher, and uh, it's fantastic. You know, three great central performances. Miller delivered another great film. I don't want to say too much more because it's um, – I don't think I'll be, you know, too – yeah, I, I would be lying uh, and doing a bad job of it if I said this isn't going to be in the top 30. Um,
2: yeah, the Koi Roy will uh, develop over the next couple of weeks. Those that have listened to the show for the years uh, that we've done this, uh, we usually start out pretty strong saying, yeah, I don't know if it'll start by top 30 now, and then eventually we're like, uh, good film. Anyway. Uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, that's right, man. There's some films that you just – yeah, you will text each other or – you know, whatever the case may be. I know what dangerous obsession is, and it's fantastic. I loved it. It's a late cycle, super fucking sleazy Lucio Fulci film.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. We talked about that.
1: Man, this film is amazing. It's we
2: didn't talk we didn't talk about it on the show though. We talked about it on the it group. On the, uh,
1: yeah, it is so sleazy. Corinne Clery's in it. Uh, Blanca Marsillac, I guess is her name. She's uh, naked the oh, entire God. film. Um, someone a woman gets masturbated with a saxophone, which is so GGTMC. That truly is. Uh, and she loves it. Like not you have to see the film. I don't mean like they put like the wide part uh, in her Punani, but you know, <laughs> you gotta see it. She's she's pleasured, I guess, would be a better Yeah. Situation. There's all sorts of a guy gets a hand job while he's riding a motorbike. I mean it's it's super sleazy.
2: Typical, you know, GGTMC travel accommodations.
1: <clears throat> yeah, absolutely, man. But this is a fun, fun film. It's seventy-seven minutes. Um And g- good stuff. A young woman abducts and subjects a doctor to various sexual torture acts whom she holds responsible for the death of her boyfriend. Really good late-cycle Fulci. I mean, I'll tell you what. I've had a lot of fun with the late-psyche. Late-psyche. Ooh, nearby. Uh, <laughs> late-cycle Fulci I've done over the past couple of years, like a Ghost House and Primal Rage or whatever it's called. They're yeah, really murder, fun stuff. Murder Rock. Murder Rock. Yeah, man.
2: Yeah, you know, that stuff was... You know, really looked down upon when it first came out, and uh, I was one of the few that would, uh, you know, kind of champion it a little bit. I never thought he, you know, I never thought of him as this uh, Italian master, anyway. But I would champion that stuff because I liked that kind of craziness. I never saw Dangerous Obsession, so I'm looking forward to watching that at some point.
1: Yeah, it's fun and it's super sleazy. Uh, then after Dangerous Obsession and Foxcatcher, I did Vampire Dog with the family nice and uh, yeah,
2: cramming there boy
1: cramming netflix braden's choice this one was has norm mcdonald as the titular vampire dog <laughs> yeah. shot in christian uh the, the bates hardy family's uh backyard in, in regina um the vampire dog in this doesn't drink blood but he loves red jello <laughs> you leave a plate or a, like a bowl on the island in your kitchen it will be gone so yeah there's that red jello i've learned to kind of embrace the talking animal films like i almost look forward to the bad ones because
2: they're just yeah they're more they're more entertaining than the good ones yeah because you know it's not a genre you you know as an adult it's not a genre you're going to pursue
1: that's right and to see you know actors show up in them and stuff it's interesting uh switched gears completely did the drop with the wife um uh I can't remember the gentleman's name. He did uh, Bullhead from a few years ago. Um very interesting film. Good one to get one again. You and I spoke about this. One of Ganolfini's last films. Hardy's good in it. Uh, Matthias Schainert, the Belgian actor, the uh the lead from Bullhead, really, really steals the show on this one though. And Hardy's Hardy's great too. Um Yeah, good one. Uh I guess that could be considered cram before January first, um for some.
2: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh the drop's on my cram list. Any crime film with those that t- caliber of actors and that director, that would be cram-worthy in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Now, now, does it hit the heights it should? Maybe not. Because with that kind of talent, you think it could be like a 9 out of 10. But, mm-hmm. you know, still good. Uh, then I was putting together Lego, so I did Chicken Run. Um, because oh, I was nice. going to put on something sleazy, but I was like, no, nope. it's like 10 in the morning on like Boxing Day, which is December 26th. I'm going to put together some Lego. I'll watch Chicken Run in case the kids come down. So I'd seen this. It's good. Um, I think it is definitely weaker than a lot of their other efforts. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're, uh, uh, Wallace and Gromit. i a Harold and Kumar, because you said earlier Wallace and Gromit. Um, <laughs> yep. I will say this, man. They Is it Aardman I want to say the guy's name is? Um, yep. They know how to do like a set piece and a thrilling set piece at that.
2: Yeah, for that like, type of animation as well. It's pretty amazing.
1: It is amazing, the set pieces they put together for their characters. Um, I have a
2: sweet spot for that one just because, obviously, it's harping on uh, The Great Escape, right? So, oh, totally, yeah. So that's kind of fun. But mm-hmm. uh, I agree with you. It's not as good as the uh, Wallace and Gromit stuff.
1: No, I wish it was, you know, because the Wallace and Gromit stuff's just it's so good. Um, then I did Battleship Potemkin, which is one of the biggest films on my uh, – List of Shame, and I am glad I saw it. It's amazing and worthy of all the praise. I won't say any more about it. Yeah. Um, then, if I was, you
2: haven't seen it, see it. That's all. You see
1: look. it. I mean, the film's silent, but if it, it, you can see if you love film, to see how far ahead of the curve the Russians were with editing and and cinematography. I mean, it's just really something special, and I think it's on instant. So,
2: yeah, so if it's not, I am sure it's out there and quite YouTube a few places. It, it might be public domain at this point. Be. I don't even know.
1: It's tremendous, and to see you know a, a culture that was sealed off from the western world for until recently really uh, right. really really outstanding stuff uh, and some powerful imagery the really powerful close ups and it just group shot, shots of you know wide numbers of people really tremendous stuff uh, my kid William was watching this with me a little bit and I was kind of explaining the history to him and then I put on a train arrives at the station for them, which is like a minute and a half. And I think is widely believed to be the first film shown in theaters where the train yeah. simply comes yeah. out of the station. I wanted right. to show them just to get the context that people were running out of the theaters and how far we've come with film. And, you know, it's a minute and a half long, little little film history lesson for the kids. So right, right. Uh did that. And then I picked one up from the library that um, I'd never, truth be told, I had never even heard of. And uh, I'm glad I ended up picking it up because it was a Vittorio De Sica film. The children are watching, mm. and this film is outstanding, outstanding. I mean, as good as like, you know, Shoe Shine or Bicycle Thief are. Yeah. Man, this film's good. It's about a couple who's going through a divorce, while their their young five six year old boy uh, is kind of caught in the middle. Yeah. Man, it's so good. It's so good. De Sica is uh, one of the greats, really. Yeah, he is, man. He's one of the masters, for sure. Um, then I did some Bertolucci written by Pasolini, the Grim Reaper.
2: Uh, oh, I've never seen this.
1: Yeah, it's a good film, man. Picked it up from my library as well. It's very cool. Uh, I quite dug it. It's it's almost does like a Rashomon thing where the police nab three different people that are wanted for the murder of a prostitute, and they get their account of the story. So you mm. kind of see each of those as well as sort of the truth, but uh, it's a it's a really good film, you know, really good stuff. Um, that wrapped off December. Then it was really time to go deep into cram. Uh, I did start up uh, Jack O'Connell, which I told you you got to see. Um, mm-hmm. I'll say no more. Uh, Cavalry, I also watched. You and I spoke about that. Feels very McDonough, even before I knew it was McDonough. You you talked about it already. Solid solid film, even if it doesn't make our lists. Everyone should check it out. It's it's a very oh, yeah. good film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hopped over to Hong Kong. Did um, Pen Ho Chung's latest film Aberdeen, which is a bit of a uh, multi generational family drama. Kind of feels like who was the British director that did? Um, what's that Christmas film? We said we liked uh, British one with uh, the guy with oh. the signs.
2: Oh, *Love Actually*. The, *Love uh, Actually*. Richard, Richard Curtis film.
1: Yeah, it almost feels like a Hong Kong Richard Curtis in some ways. Um, <clears throat> looks at, you know, the older generation. One, one of them's a Taoist monk, and he's dating this show, the Hong Kong showgirl. His wife's been deceased for some time, and you know, just the the hypocrisy—not not an indictment, but just um, looking at the sort of the the sometimes the hypocrisy we as people have in our lives, and um, and how it all weaves together within this the different generations of this family. Good stuff, but you know, not as good as I, I expected. Um, then I did one from the mainland, mainland China, that um, is is really good stuff. Uh, Black, Co- great title too. Black Coal, Thin Ice. Yeah, that's a great title. Man, it's a it's a it's a neo noir, and it involves um, some murder and some ice skates. And it's so strange because the two Chinese films I watched this week, Aberdeen and Black Coal, Thin Ice, both both feature Chinese hockey, which I don't know if I've ever seen in any other films I've done. So. Black Hole Thin Ice is, uh, is one to keep an eye on. Uh, the cat was a huge fan of it, so... yeah, There you go. Uh, Virunga, or Virunga, or Virunga, whatever it is, uh, it needs to be seen. Very interesting documentary that you repped for on Instant about the Congo and the sanctuary in the Congo, Virunga, um, where the mountain gorillas are and the people that really put their lives on the line, as well as the instability of the country and some corruption and uh, unfortunately, things that are par for the course.
2: Uh, yeah, some sad stuff there.
1: Man, I'll tell you what, I, William was watching a little bit of this at the back end with me, and I, I was a bit worried about it, but I didn't want to shut yeah. it down because it was animals, and I could kind of simplify some things. But there was a moment when he was in my arms when the rebels are getting close, and they start to hear shots, and the gorillas are scared, and I was explaining to him why they were scared. Uh, luckily, you don't see anyone die on screen, you know. Um, but there's a yeah. moment when a young boy, about seven or eight years old, is running. And he's scared because he hears the the, the gunfire. Right. And at that, that moment, I started to cry. I was holding William. Like not like my tears started streaming down my face. I'm I'm holding my child, thinking if we go there, that could be him.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, very it's good. Very scary, scary, scary stuff.
1: Yeah, because I wanted to, to basically give it as a lesson to him to say, you know, we have it great here. We're very blessed to be in a country like Canada, where you know we take for granted a lot of the the um, the things we have. Indeed. You know, so. Uh, Jumped from that into an Israeli film that has kind of had a circuitous route onto the list called Policeman. It was released in 2011. Got I think a DVD release this year. So I'm considering it for cram. Um, yeah, it's about an Israeli uh, elite kind of squad police officer. It's kind of a what's the word triptychal I guess is that the word uh, when it looks at sort of three different uh, or multiple storylines I guess triptych would mean three wouldn't it uh, if that's even the pronunciation but anyway it, it's different viewpoints for um, uh, some 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 events that were occurring uh, with this uh, basically from a far right perspective and a far left perspective it's got some very Homoerotic um, police moments, very GGTMC. Nice. Uh, it's a good one. It's a good one. And I, I ironically, after watching an Israeli film, uh, went to Omar on Netflix Instant, a Palestinian film. And uh, this one uh, is interesting. Looks at a young man who his girlfriend lives on one side of uh, one of the walls, and he lives on the other, and he gets tricked into confessing and has to become an informant. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. It's on Instant. Um, then I did the double. A uh, British film. Uh, Richard, is it Ayode? Is that Ayode? Is that how people say it?
2: Oh, man. I just heard his name the other day said... Oh, uh. Yeah.
1: I don't know. But anyway, the, the Nigerian... of Nigerian-Swedish descent, I believe. Yeah, he's, an
2: act, he's an actor and a director and a writer.
1: So. Yeah, he did Submarine a couple years ago, which was great. Uh, yeah, and
2: I think he was in uh, a film... You know, I think he's got a lot of fans. I think he was in that Neighborhood Watch film, The Watch or whatever that Vince oh. Vaughn and Ben Stiller did.
1: Yeah, he's he's cool, man. He almost feels to me like uh, like a British Wes Anderson in some ways in terms of his aesthetic, like
2: his. Iowati. Iowati.
1: Iowati, That's how you pronounce it. OK, I
2: believe I believe it is Iowati.
1: But this is cool, man. This film, another doppelganger film. Strange. There's so many doppelganger films this year.
2: Yeah, it's on my list to uh, check out because it looks it looks interesting.
1: Yeah, it's it's good. It's a good
2: looking it's film. It's gonna be it's gonna be hard for it to top my other doppelganger film.
1: Well, I I couldn't be forthright and agree with you on that one. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Without saying anything, those yeah. who know us would know yes. what we're talking about.
1: That's right. But this is a very good looking film. It felt very Jeanne Gilliam. Um. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Uh, next up, The Rover. Um, good film. <laughs> Good, Was film. That <laughs> good film.
2: Like <laughs> I don't know if it's coy or not. That film is dividing people. I don't good know. Friend, good if... friend Miles did not like it. He well, really Miles did like not it, it eh? No, he did not. So. Huh. Uh, but, you know, hey, to their own. I think uh, Scott had some issues with it, but he agreed that Pierce is, uh, let's say, piercing in the film. Uh, now, you know what I say when I say, uh, whenever I, from now on, the rest of the year, when I go, I just want my car. Yeah, man. You're gonna know. <laughs> yeah. You're gonna know exactly what I'm talking about. So. Well,
1: the here's the thing. I don't know if I will like it as much as you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll say that. Um, Pierce is tremendous, but as great as Pierce is, a guy that I've been repping for since he was a, a, a glittery vampire, uh huh. Robert Pattinson.
2: Yeah, he's good in the film. Everybody. Everybody's good. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Everybody in the film is. The film is very well acted. Yeah. Uh, it's very minimal and stuff, but I really like the uh, like the gang of thieves. They had some really great faces there.
1: They did, they did. The, the MacGuffin was very, very, very like softball to Sammy.
2: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was
1: <laughs> big time. Yeah, big time. Yeah. So that yeah, was my week, man. That was my week. So you yeah. know, man, that was it seems like I
2: fucking got a lot in. Yeah, well, you did. You started uh, you started ripping through those crams, and that's what happens. You get on a tear with those, you start to get you know, like I said, you start to get running. And you're like, yeah, this is great, and then all of a sudden you hit a Wall, and you're like, yeah, I need to go watch a John Claude Van Damme movie. <laughs>
1: well, I'll tell you this: my wife and I just one more thing, and then we'll jump off the what we've been watching. We we got into really fast and hard somehow amidst all this uh, Game of Thrones. So
2: you're so, through season one, yeah?
1: I'm through season one.
2: So uh, did you know? Did you know what was going to happen at the end of I, season one?
1: I didn't know, and not to spoil it for people that would think along the exactly. same lines, but um, I, I had a hunch uh, based on. The track record of someone cast,
2: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, uh and still, still well still uh, well a heavy bad. moment, man, a heavy
1: moment, a, a great show i I'm not into knights and goblins and and dragons and wizards and stuff, um this plays more like uh you know, like cr- different crime families in some ways jockeying for yeah power yeah. and and influence. It,
2: it's funny some people like that it uh is a political allegory type thing oh yeah and some people hate that and then you know the people that hate that want it to be more fantastical yeah goblins and and dragons and things like that i'm of i'm of the opinion that they hit the right note
1: i period. agree 100 percent. very well acted so well written Considering the amount of characters they have, they really do a good job of giving everyone moments and fleshing out the characters. If you're not into the whole, because fan- fantasy is one of my least favorite genres and, mm-hmm. a- and aesthetics, but mm-hmm. I-, I really implore people to give give Game of Thrones a shot. It's if if give it you know five six episodes. If you don't like it, jump off. But it's a- it's a really good show. My wife and I are hooked. So.
2: Good. Good. And you got some uh, you got some really stellar uh, stuff to look forward to then.
1: Yeah, I know we're um, we're three, two or three episodes into season two, and I had to stop because I was like, man, this is getting re- man between the NFL playoffs and Game of Thrones, you're fucking <laughs> up my cram.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's that's the, that's the other problem with marathon, and is it can really screw up your cram because oh. uh, when it's good, oh, uh, yeah. uh, you know, you just want to keep you just want to keep rolling.
1: Dude, Sunday night we did five, no Saturday night we did five episodes in a row. That's almost five hours.
2: Yeah, yeah. I kind of felt like, you know, because I couldn't, I couldn't uh, do this on uh, Saturday night or Sunday morning, so I was kind of relieved because, you know, you always feel like you kind of let somebody down a little bit when you can't, right? So uh, I was kind of relieved because I saw you just kind of keep that train rolling all night long on Saturday.
1: Oh yeah, no, it was good. And you know, what was crazy for me was, and I, I guess, if you're going to jump off this, but it, it never really happens, I guess. But uh, when I was watching Startup and when I was watching um, Calvary. The cynical doctor in Cavalry is Littlefinger.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Which blew my mind. There was three actors between Startup and that film that have shown up in Game of
2: Thrones. Well, I mean, as you're watching GOT, uh, I guess I'm one of the cool kids that says that. as you're watching that, you're going to see every actor of British or Scottish or Irish descent. That's amazing. (laughs) Because uh, they really do... uh, you know they really do a really good job of casting they really uh they really pull in some great actors
1: yeah they do they do for sure so with that being said we're gonna take a break and we're gonna come back and uh you want to go in chronological order we'll uh we'll jump into some some long goodbye
2: hey it's okay with me it's an L.A. Right. Gould say yeah that's right man okay we will be right back <laughs>
0: This is Alyssa from Big Red Podcast, inviting you to listen to our show about pop culture, TV, and cool stuff that we talk about every week. Right, Derek?
1: Well, you know you love it, and we talk about it.
0: And if you haven't been listening, here's what you've been missing out on. And by a lot, I mean, there are several shows to talk about, none of which were especially good.
1: You know, it seems mostly uh, what I'm learning is a lot of things to take a lesson from One Tree Hill, and I never thought I'd say that.
0: He also has a magnificent head of hair.
2: Yes. Right, thank you. Naked Viking, whatever. And as with Lost the flashbacks aren't interesting at this point <laughs> uh
1: i'm just hoping that uh it won't break my heart like heroes like punching
0: dinosaur in the face
1: yes oh, the yeah. mother was, at each was other. insane and bizarre
2: and apparently high i'm guessing i learned I mean, a lesson today about karma
1: the man who can't feel pain shouldn't be dealing with hot liquids and whatever Right, heating old man and why are you not winning
0: So listen to Big Red Podcast if you like TV and junk on TV because we totally watch it and talk about it so you don't have to. Find us at BigRedPodcast.com or check us out in the iTunes store.
1: Welcome back. It is (laughs) (laughs) – blah. (laughs) I – it oh, is yeah. <laughs> man. I got a cough that I just can't shake, and it seems like every time I go to lay down at night, it just gets worse. It just no. like cough, cough, coffee, McCofferson. and uh, it's it's better than it was. But I'll, you know what, man? I gotta say, I gotta give it up to Ricola, man. Like Ricola are the MVT of the cough cough lozenge world.
2: Yeah, they've quickly become my favorite as well.
1: Oh man, they're just—they're not too sweet, they're not too strong, they're just perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So okay, let's get. I think you know what I think that uh, Elliot Gould's Philip Marlowe. Marvo, Marvo would have fucked that one up on the one-yard liner and a spiner. Um, yeah. Philip, uh,
2: Philip Ricola.
1: I bet you uh, Philip Marlowe, Elliot Gould's Philip Marlowe, could appreciate a nice Ricola. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Between cigarettes, maybe with cigarettes, but uh, yeah. 1973. Yeah. Robert Altman, Detective Philip Marlowe tries to help a friend who is accused of murdering his wife now this film um is much loved do you want to lead on it do you want to want me to lead on it what would you like to do
2: um yeah sure you go ahead you go ahead and uh lead on it i'll uh, i'll fill in here and there cool
1: so yeah this was uh something that i gotta look back get my notes so this uh this film was one that it Uh, truth be told, took me a little bit to warm up to. I'd seen it once, liked it, didn't love it, watched it again, liked it more, watched it a third time, loved it. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that I always find interesting about Altman, you know, because we're a little bit pressed for time, so we can't stretch our legs too much on Altman as much as he's more than worthy of it, is how interested he is in subverting expectations and genre expectations and deconstructing genres. Because... When you look at a film like this, or you look at a film like MASH, which, you know, it's, it's a film, uh, Vietnam film. Was it Korean War or was it Vietnam? Uh, Korean War. Okay, Korean War. So you look at a film like that. I mean, what he did was so far removed from what anyone else was doing. Uh, and then this film. I mean, Marlowe and this is the antithesis of everything we've seen as far as the, the the private dick, as it were. I mean, he's not a tough guy. He doesn't bet all the ladies. Um, he's not a guy that's got friends around town and informants and people he can kind of lean on to get information. He's not Armand Asante. (laughs) Yeah. he's not, uh, you know, he's a different kind of uh, private eye. So to get Elliot Gould, who he's just, he's so good. He's such a shaggy dog. And this is very much a, a shaggy dog film to set it in LA. Lots of daytime. Um, very, very interesting choices
2: by Altman. Mm-hmm. I agree, I agree, and also the. I think I told you that on the uh, special features and stuff that he didn't even really want to do this. Uh, you know, Philip Marlowe had been done, and he didn't really want to do it. And somebody called him back up and said, uh, "Hey, we want to do Elliot Gould as Philip Marlowe," and he was like, "Hey, now we're talking." Mm-hmm. So, and that's the most brilliant thing about this movie is to put Elliot Gould in that spot because. This is for me one of the best performances of the seventies. I'm saying something, really. You think about the seventies?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's really saying something. But I would agree with you. Um, Gould, for me, as I'd said to you, I think either on the air or off the air, I'm not. Uh, I'm very quick to say that for me, Elliot Gould was is, is you know kind of the king of cool, king of the seventies in some ways or at least one of the kings of the 70s as we had discussed. Surely, yes. Yes. Uh, but what's so so interesting about what he did was he he was kind of the he wasn't sort of like the Robert Redford kind of handsome. I mean, he was very different. He but the thing that always to me always made him cool even though he wasn't Jack Nicholson was how quick-witted he was and how he could talk his way in and out of everything just effortlessly the energy mm-hmm. he brings mm-hmm. to every performance even if he's in a rumpled suit it's there's just an a sharpness and an energy that he brings that I don't know anyone else being able to do as well as him
2: yes i agree with you i agree with you it's uh that perfect like uh what's the word i'm looking for like symbiosis maybe or that uh, you know that syncopated moment where two an actor and a director work together and it's like just yeah. perfect yeah like uh, De Niro, Scorsese, Golden, uh, and you know, especially with Taxi Driver, but that's that's what it reminds me of. Yeah, it really does.
1: It really, really does. Um Yeah, because they did. I think they did three films together. I think what California Split, this, and uh, yeah, MASH. Which yeah, are,
2: he may have popped up in something else later. I'm not positive because Altman worked a lot. Yeah, so. he did. He and did. he worked i mean he did he has 87 credits as a director so he worked a lot
1: yeah and I think uh if correct me if I'm wrong but didn't Altman get his start as working making like instructional videos for like industry like um <laughs> like for like welding companies and shit like that
2: yeah yeah no he did that for that and for uh, sports as well
1: yeah so it's I, I've did, always uh,
2: the king basketball and uh, better football I don't know if you've ever seen those but they're documentaries
1: yeah no i'm aware of them and I, I always thought it was fascinating to me that for me probably the biggest strength he see he's the kind of guy to me that visually i don't feel like he's an auteur so much but from an is it auditory am i making up words again is auditory a word uh
2: i, I think it's a word i don't know if it's is the, it right the word. correct
1: word i uh, know it is it is i guess it's i think it is though of or relating to the sense of hearing so there we go yeah. um Uh, So I think from an auditory standpoint, uh, he is very much an auteur because, you know, his dialogue kind of weaving in and out, chatter of characters Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, And as we're going to talk about probably even more so with the next film, I just think his ability to write great dialogue without it ever seeming showy always is something
2: that I I admire a great
1: deal. Yes. Like, it just works so well.
2: And Not only that, but he... Well, this was written by Lee Brackett, but what he also does is he lets actors go. Yeah. And that's what I think uh, he should be most known for is the fact that he just lets them go. And uh, some people love working like that, some people don't. And the people who worked well with him, you know, are able to do that.
1: They had an instinct, right? I know, I know I've know. i heard from some people, like, yeah, he he kind of let them off the chain and was like, figure it out. You're an actor. That's why I hired you. You act. Um, so some people they find that daunting. They need to know what their motivation is, or you know they, they need direction. Whereas he has got these actors and trusts their instincts enough to let them, like you said, get off the chain and and do what they want. So um, you know, and, and it works well. Like you said, it, the, the symbiosis he had with with Gould is, is second to none. Seeing this film, um, it really reminds me, you know, stuff like this had to have been a huge influence on the
2: Coen brothers. Yes, I would have to say so. A lot of uh, Altman, now that I'm thinking about it, has to be quite an influence on the Coens. Well, the
1: Cohens, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, huge. I mean, well, yeah, even thieves ones. like
2: even thieves like us. Is, I saw a lot of uh, Cohen brother stuff in there. Big
1: time. Well, big time. And I think between a lot of the great American directors we've seen, and I'm sure European, but each country brings its own. Um, Intentional or unintentional film language or, or uh, aesthetics to the screen, but uh, I feel like with a lot of American filmmakers of this era that you know cut their teeth and, and made films in the 90s or the 80s, they've really Altman's influence is one that I wouldn't wouldn't have maybe initially thought of. You know, you think mm-hmm. of your Scorsese and other people, but I think it, it can't be overstated.
2: Yeah, you definitely see it in Paul Thomas Anderson at the beginning. Big time. uh, With um, Heart 8 and uh, Boogie Nights Nights and Magnolia. Yeah. You definitely see it. Uh, Now, he's kind of developed, and and he's more of a stylist, I think, than Altman, obviously. But you can definitely tell he's taken in other filmmakers as well. But Mm -hmm. I think he's kind of, even though I still think his films are kind of Altman-esque in a way, you can definitely see that he's kind of trying to take it a different way a little bit. And, of course, I haven't seen Inherent Vice. uh, That feels very Altman, though yeah I, I'm happy that I will get to see it before we oh yeah uh, before we finish up our year end which is good. I found that out this week but uh, the he is I think Altman from 1970 to 1980. He started 1970 with mash he ended 1980 with Popeye, which Popeye was a big I believe a box office failure but and but you know one of my favorite films growing up was Popeye because it was just so crazy. And it was one of the first times I realized, and maybe one of his most stylized films, really, because he didn't really do a lot of stuff like that. But it's, it's a cool film because it's a musical. It's uh, you know, kind of crazy and wacky, and it's got an interesting cast, Paul Dooley, who he worked with a lot, Paul oh, Smith, yeah. who played Bluto. We've talked about him before, one of the crazier yeah. character actors of all time. I don't know. You know, the more and more I think about it, uh, you know, I've always said in the past, you know, some of the '70s filmmakers I never really got attached to, like Altman and Nichols and things like that. But looking at Altman's work, I think I'm more attached to it than I even thought I was. I think his influence is more; it's permeated more into me than even I realized uh, yeah. in the past.
1: And you know another thing that's, that that I, I really got to give it up to him for is how diverse his filmography is. Mm-hmm. I, let's look even into the mid '80s. You know, when you finish with something like OC and Stiggs, uh, working back from, and there's a lot of stuff that I haven't seen. But I can tell you, uh, one I like that's sort of a, a bit of a deep cut or a B-side for him. That um, I think it, I think someone's putting out like a boutique label. Come back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. That's a yep, good that's little a good film. One. And he's, yep. he's 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 a um, um he's a director that wasn't afraid to put the film on the back of female leads and let them run with it. Or he wasn't afraid to work with, you know, on almost exclusively masculine or male cast and let them run with it. He wasn't afraid to make a British kind of chamber murder mystery late in life, or he was always challenging himself. And I think that's one of the great things about his filmography is, whether it's deconstructing westerns or war films, uh, you know, looking at degenerate gamblers, whatever he was doing, children's films, yeah. whatever he did, it's almost like like an American Mickey in some ways. Not as transgressive, but willingness. Yeah,
2: he, even did, he even did a John Grisham film.
1: Yeah, just a willingness to do it all and to work. I mean, that's that's really really
2: well, I impressive. I think the thing that I take away from him the most is is you look back. And look at all the people that worked with him and yeah. some of those uh, performances and things. They were some of the best performances of some of those people's careers. Oh, yeah. And uh, Julianne Morris, first time I recognized her was in Shortcuts. It was the first time I really paid attention to her um, uh, for obvious reasons in Shortcuts. Mm-hmm. But, oh, yeah. But uh, he's always worked with people who he finds uh, incredibly talented, be it Lily Tomlin or, you know. You name it, Keith Carradine. You know, people that most people kind of overlook.
1: Yeah, he had an eye, and yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk about Carradine certainly when we uh, when we get to it here. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, what else are we gonna say? This is a film that we could just probably endlessly quote the dialogue all day. I'll try to reframe it because this film's so endlessly quotable. Um, I think this film, even without Gould, it would kind of be one of those like. Um, like Warner Classic Archive films that gets put out and people dig, but it's it, I think it's elevated. Certainly, as obvious a statement as that is by Gould. Like he, I think he brings like a point point and a half to the film, even as good as it is. I agree with you completely. You know, it's it's like taking a good team Then you put that quarterback in, and it, it makes them a great team. They're a Super Bowl team now. You know, you get yes. that when you get Gouldness.
2: Um, well, you know, not only him, but I mean, look at the cast. I mean, uh, pros. He's got, Str- he's got Sterling Hayden in there. Yeah. You know, who's just one you know, one of the great voices of all time. One of the great drinkers of all time too. No doubt about that. (laughs) And one of the great pot smokers of all time for that Yeah,
1: big time. One of the great beard wearers of all time.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, And one of the great hat wearers too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A guy could rock a hat and an ascot, by the way, too.
1: Big time, man. (laughs)
2: Big time just love the way he talks. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm, yeah.
1: That's good, man. That's a good That's a good Hayden. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I mean, just that's like at the end of every sentence, it seems to be like him saying something like that. Like, mm, yeah. That's why and I like... always, I always love that because, mm, uh, you know, man. it brings a lot of character to, uh, his performance. I mean, he's very much being Sterling Hayden, but, yes. uh, at the same time, his character's a lot of fun. It totally is. Because he, even though he's playing a total, uh, total shithead in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, even though you find out later on in the film and everything else, maybe not. But you know, that that's that's neither here nor there. The what you see him, he's this kind of very selfish drunk. So.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things about the film that I never really thought of it is very much a, a noir. Like it's very much a noir. Mm-hmm. Um, but is the fact how unpredictable the actions are of most characters in this film, including Marlowe himself. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what any character could do at any time, whether it's, you know, five foot two Henry Gibson pimp slapping <laughs> six foot three Sterling Hayden on the beach in front of a group of people or yeah. I mean, no matter what. I mean, yeah. there's just anything can happen.
2: Or casting uh, Jimmy Bulldog Bouton as Lennox. Who, yeah, Jim Bouton, he was the guy that went to play for the Portland uh, for that Bastards of Baseball team. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's uh, right, man.
2: He was uh, one that wrote the ball, wrote that book, uh, Ball Four, I think, which exposed a lot of Major League Baseball, you know, not so good pleasantries about Major League Baseball. But he's got a great face. Not a great actor in the film, but it's great to see him in the movie, Jim uh, playing Linux, the Linux character, the, the pivotal Linux character.
1: That's right. Well, and also, we, um, yeah, and he, you know who he reminds me of a lot is, uh, big time, is um, Richard Tyson.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not as not quite not as, as beefy oily and sleazy,
1: but like a good-looking kind of slim down. And
2: yeah. Richard
1: yeah. Tyson's good-looking too, but like very like he'd be his older brother or something.
2: Yeah, Tyson's got there's, there's yeah there's something about Richard Tyson, and I think it's because of the films he's made. <laughs> a little more chrome magnet. <laughs> yeah, you know, they just, every time I think of him, I think of baby oil and like Jerry Curl juice, yeah,
1: and a scowl. <laughs> He should have done more yeah. like he should have done more like PM Entertainment films. I think. Yeah,
2: you should have seen You got to see that one movie he made where he plays a werewolf that talks smack. Big oh, bad wolf. man, I got to see that. It's it's I pretty do. awful, but it's hilarious listening to a werewolf talk shit.
1: That would be good. <laughs> that would be good. I guess. he is
2: pretty that. good in it. Like every time he wants to have sex, he turns into a werewolf and you know like rapes people. So go figure.
1: Well, he's he's another guy that's got pretty good comedic timing. We have body my bodyguard. Some other things he's done. You know, he's he's got some timing too. Um, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of bizarre stuff in this film. Certainly, as with most Altman stuff, he, he was never afraid to just to to do things on a whim or just because he felt like it was something he wanted to do. Like you know, this film has Arnold Schwarzenegger in it with a mustache.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my. I'll be forthright in saying right now, that's my make or break scene. I love that. It's not because Arnold's in there, that adds to it, but I love the craziness of the scene. Where he, is, okay, everybody take their clothes off. Yeah. All right. That's what I mean, anyone can do anything, and it
1: subverts expectations. You think he's going to get beat up and shook down (laughs) and all this, but instead, the whole crew takes their clothes off. (laughs) I mean, it's that kind of film. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm telling you what, I'm going to L.A. uh, Hopefully, you'll be there. Uh, I'm going to L.A. next month, and I'm going to tell Kelly, Kelly, if you're listening to this, you've got to try to find the building where Philip Marlowe (laughs) was i don't know if it looks the same or not but i love that building and i love his neighbors in this film like he's got
2: oh, this- okay yeah the the living co- yeah okay yeah the well yeah as red-blooded north american males <clears throat> we certainly love the neighbors right
1: the neighbors are a bunch of hippie dippy chicks that they're always naked
2: <laughs> and they always they make candles and they're
1: they make and candles always, and
2: all <laughs> he's sorts always kind of kinda talking to them. i love it i love that uh He doesn't look at them as uh, sex objects. As a matter of fact, Elliot Gould's character is very asexual.
1: Yeah, he is in a lot of ways. Even like the the stuff that would sort of seem like the obvious thing with the femme fatale of of uh, Nina Van Palland as Eileen Wade, that's just more business. Mm -hmm. It's business.
2: Yeah, and I like that he's all business. Uh, He has this casual demeanor, but at the same time, he's all business all the time. Like he doesn't, you know, he has a sex appeal. But he doesn't uh, like use that in any way, shape, or form to get no, what he needs. Never thought, does he does he sleep with anybody?
1: I don't think he does, man. I don't think he does. Well, he wakes up like he's a total slob. He's passed out in his clothes, cigarette butts on his bed, the cat beside him. Like he just there's not like yeah he he's not really in he is as much as he's all business he he doesn't project like a like a Gordon Gecko kind of like sleek efficiency about it. Do you know what I mean? very much a shaggy dog.
2: I'm glad you kept talking. I got a phone call while you were, uh, while uh, I got cut off there. And so I'm glad you kept talking. So hopefully it won't. It'll be <laughs> seamless. Although I think I just mentioned it. So.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, well that's okay. Um, because I love the line with the, the girls, and I love all the asides he says to himself. That like I have to think that some of that is too good and too off the cuff to be written. Like. Not uh, yet.
2: It's true it's true the it's okay with me uh Alman told him to roll with he started saying that and Allman loved it he loved that uh gold Goulds uh, Marlowe was very much like you know like a duck with oiled feathers water everything just rolls off of him.
1: big time everything
2: and, man and uh that the, it's okay with me is great uh, the way he shuffles around talks himself he's constantly smoking this is one of those movies that makes me want to makes me want to smoke a cigarette for christ's sake i can't stand that when cigarettes you know i mean i know i can't smoke anymore okay I, I get it and i know it's not good for me but when i watch a film like this it makes me want to fire up a cigarette so bad oh yeah because you know i mean he, he just looks like he's enjoying himself he's just having a good old time with the cigarettes and stuff but i, I love the shuffleness of the character and i don't know if i can explain that
1: no you have as to much see as
2: i could show that but he's got this like little strut type thing he does
1: yeah, it's it's very this much is great. It is great. It, a shuffle is, I think, an accurate way to put it because he doesn't really have a lot of – it's not like the silver stride or the no. silver spray. It's not like that. It's very much like a kind of shuffle. Again, shaggy dog, rumpled suit shuffle that just kind of works. And it's funny. Like it's so many of these funny asides, like when he's mumbling to himself when he gets up and he sees the the neighbors are all outside naked. He says, I'm going to go over there and tell these girls they're going to catch a cold. <laughs> <laughs> things like that it just so bizarre against not what you're expecting to hear yeah from, from uh and this you is know, like, you know.
2: were talking about la a little bit and, but and talking about you know kelly and uh i can say this is you know Altman doing romantic la i think Altman may have done la better than anybody uh i think he knew the town well uh the seedy side plus the uh you know, the glorious side that is what we see L.A. as. There's some great this, L.A. in this. Yeah, this is yeah, this is kind of a little bit of both, but not too seedy, but uh, it looks great. I mean, the, the 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 Blu-ray looks great, but, I mean, L.A. looks great in this movie. Um, It makes you want to visit L.A. I it's, mean, it just looks fantastic. It
1: does, and it's romantic without lingering on a lot of the obvious stuff, like the Sunset Strip. I think there's Laurel Canyon at one point if my film L.A. geography is what it is. But um, we should say, too, the, one of the reasons the film looks so great is Vilmos Zygmunt, one of the great DOPs, shot it, and John Williams scored it. Now, John Williams scores a little bit, um, ab, not absent, it, it's it's not very intrusive, I feel like, because when I think about the film, it's not one of the first things I think about.
2: No, no, it's not real. It's, it's fine, but it's not memorable, right?
1: No, no, like, exactly. I
2: couldn't whistle the tune to you right now.
1: No, nor could I. Nor could I. I've seen it a handful of times. One of the things I love about the 70s, a lot of us get caught up talking about early 80s neo-noirs, but the 70s has so many fascinating uh, neo-noirs that one of the things I love most about them is how they don't always make perfect, clean, clear sense. Yeah. Like this, Clute, Night Moves, Cutter's Mm -hmm. Way. These are all films that the truth is subjective. Motivations can be interpreted several ways, and these directors never give us a clean, clear-cut answer.
2: Well, the 80s became the decade of, big time it became, I think and you can say the Reagan era in the States, but it definitely became the era again of the white hat, black hat again. It did. Like, that was around in the 50s and some of the 60s, and then it went away from the late 60s almost into the very beginning of the 80s. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it came back like gangbusters almost so right wing it was ridiculous, you know. Oh uh,
1: man, it was a cartoon, it was so right wing Yeah,
2: some of the films we love so much, I mean, obviously we you know, politically we probably wouldn't agree with. But, you know, you so know. which is why again we never really talk about that kind of stuff you on know. this show because, you know, it's politics and that gets into a whole other world and a whole other that's a whole other subject. That's right, exactly. But I agree with you. The great thing about some people always ask me about the 70s. What I like about the 70s, the late 60s and the early 70s, when it comes to film is that it felt like movies were telling me stories about people that were real. Uh, I now Don't get me wrong. I love, you know, Brian Bosworth and Stone Cold. Yeah, I love (laughs) Stallone and the 80s film Schwarzenegger and raw deal. I love all that stuff, but I never felt like, and I still don't feel like maybe I felt it a little bit during the independent boom in the early nineties. Yeah. Uh, kind of that seventies aesthetic comeback where it was all about characters again. Yeah. Um, but I'll, but again, even then that's gone again. Now it's really almost all except for, a, you know, a handful of filmmakers. It's really all kind of went back to that white hat, black hat thing again in mm-hmm. some ways with the comic book films.
1: Yeah. Oh no, for sure. Um, now, mind you, Mind you
2: didn't you? didn't Vilma Sigmund, didn't he shoot uh, uh was it him no he didn't shoot Cole's Ice. That was somebody else
1: No that was uh Janusz Kaminski Yeah another right. another eastern block, former iron curtain
2: But but didn't yeah, Vilma Sig- shot uh, he shot Heaven's Gate that's what he's infamous didn't
1: for Didn't he shoot Clude as well I wonder because Clude is so well shot
2: Yeah I think he may have I and think he may Clued have is
1: like the shadows in Klute. I think are maybe better than any you know are wonder who who did it but uh, yeah the 70s just i love that and i love the el porto del gato sign that <laughs> the cat slips through and it's so perfect Man. and it's such a throwaway thing that it's a little easter egg that enriches the film but it's not essential at all to the film yeah there's so many things like that with his work yeah
2: uh, yeah that cat thing oh, that whole cat thing is is fantastic i'm not as, as we know i've said on the show i'm not a cat guy but that cat stuff with Gould and the cat is some of the the best acting from an animal and an actor I've ever seen it just it works perfectly,
1: yeah, oh, for sure, for sure man
2: um I love also that it kind of tells you it kind of informs you that this Philip Marlowe is a man with a heart he's not a a tough private dick he's uh He's tough, but he has a heart of gold, right? So Yeah, he does. And he has a certain sense of morality. Like he doesn't have to take care of this cat. This is not his cat. Yeah. yeah. But he chooses to take care of the cat. He doesn't go over and sleep with the hippie girls. It's obvious he could probably do that. Oh totally. Uh he doesn't exploit that. He actually kind of just talks to him and helps him who's just friendly with him. He could exploit the wife character at one point. But again, he's this he's got these morals and it all kind of starts from that cat scene.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. And again, it comes back to that thing we talked about where he, he's the antithesis of what we've come to expect from the private eye. He is asexual in a lot of ways. Um, I should say it was gnawing at me um, to check. It wasn't um, Zygmunt that shot Clute as a complete aside, but still in the realm of Neonoras, but one of the great DOPs of all time, Gordon Willis. Oh, yeah. yeah
2: one yeah, of
1: yeah, the yeah. greats. So we just died this year, man. Very sad. Um yeah. what else do we got here? Um I love the uh the police station. It's so overrun. And I love that there's a great payoff with the dude he sees at, from the grocery store that was like uh he goes he says to the guy he goes, Do you have a cat? And he goes, I don't have a cat. I have a I don't, what do I need a cat for? I have a girl. And then he sees the guy later on as they're getting booked, and he says to him, uh well, how's the cat? And he's okay. He goes, how's the girl? Oh, she's okay. She's getting charged right now. You know, just exchanges like that. It's just fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, I wonder when, when Gould gets the, like the finger paint grease on his hands and he starts wiping it on his face and mm-hmm. he does the Al Jolson bit and Notre Dame and the whole sports thing. I, that, I have to think that was like Gould.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I would say, and I don't know for sure. Cause I don't really know the backstory of this film. I came upon The Long Goodbye uh, essentially because I think Roger Ebert considered it one of the great films of the 70s. Yeah. And at the time, I had not seen that film when I read that. I'd seen most of the films he considered the great films of the 70s. Taxi Driver, uh, Mean Streets. uh, I'm just going off Scorsese because that's all I can think off the top of my head. But, you know, the great films of the 70s. And I remember seeing The Long Goodbye there. I remember thinking, ah, Philip Marlowe, Elliot Gould. doesn't seem like it would work. Yeah. But then when I checked it out, you know, I thought it was pretty amazed, but from what I understand, and I, I'm, I don't know if this is certain or not, uh, so uh, somebody who might be more of a professional in this film, like Rupert or somebody like that, who I know this is a big film in his life. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of Gould's stuff, we talked about it with the dialogue, but a lot of the stuff that him and Robert Altman worked on was just that, the character improvisations and stuff. Like A lot of that stuff wasn't in the script. Yeah. So a lot of that stuff is Gould, and I think I told you before we recorded the show uh, a few days back, or maybe it was over the weekend. I can't remember. Actually, before the weekend last week, that Gould's, uh, you know, had been working. He had just came off Little Murders, which you just watched in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he was working on something else in Hollywood, and it all fell through. So his name had become mud in Hollywood. And this film kind of saved his career in a way. But it's, it's weird because Gould never really. I mean, I guess he was a star of the 70s. I mean, we know that from the early 70s, but it never seemed to me like past the 70s he ever did anything to play somebody's dad.
1: Yeah, he got into that stretch where I don't know if he was still chasing the paper because he made some bad decisions or mm-hmm. – I'm just looking here because he did some cool stuff in the 80s, but man, he worked; he's, he stayed working quite a bit, but uh,
2: – uh, I'm just looking. And you know, I mean, certain people who, you know, love this movie like Steven Soderbergh. I mean, he cast Gould because of you know, Oh, yeah, yeah. 11 because of this film and and it's it, it is funny when you see Gould now to think about the fact, you know, we call him, you know, you can call him the king of like 70s cool, but at one point Gould was he was cool and uh, Yeah, he
1: was cool, man.
2: Yeah, you know, on the cover of Time magazine, he was a different a new type of sex symbol.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, you know, very hairy one, but a new type yeah, and uh, an interesting one. Uh, who I think now today's man is this, you know, are these chiseled, uh, uh, you know, zero percent body fat, uh, not I'm using quotation marks, non-HGH uh, using uh, type individuals <laughs> who seem to be the stars of nowadays. Uh, it's really a shame because I, what I like about La Gould is La Gould looks like, uh, well, he looks like somebody's uncle. Like, like if I was to come visit. You know, you, you'd say, let's yeah. hey, go to my uncle's house, and your uncle looks like Elliot Gould. I'd be like, yeah, that, that's what Elliot Gould looks like to me.
1: You know, yeah, it's like, totally. It's
2: like a real guy.
1: No, I know. I know. It's so true. Um, <laughs> what else do we got here? I love the exchange between him and the police, which felt like it was written, but written really well. When um, yeah. this is, are you cheating? And she says, oh, maybe it was with the police. She says, are you cheating? She's not dead. Is your wife cheating on you? That whole exchange, really oh, okay. great stuff, man. Really great stuff. And we get a, a really kind of bizarre, which was kind of, I think, um, part for the course for this actor because he was a bit of a free spirit and very hippy-dippy in real life. David Carradine shows up.
2: Yeah. yeah, he's got a great little moment in the film.
1: Yeah, very good. Now, another thing this film does that I didn't really key in on until I watched it this time is the mistrust of those in power, like a lot of the 70s political thrillers had, like Parallax yeah. View and things like that. There's a yeah. real distinct mistrust. And I have to wonder if that's one of the reasons, whether it's um, you know doctors or the, the police, the politicians, whoever, um, Gould's character steers clear of all of that. He wants no part of them.
2: Yeah. So it, it, well, I think it's part of. I think it is part of, you know, drug culture and parent. By '73, we're starting to get into a lot more of the paranoia that comes with the drug culture. Big time. So I think that's one of the reasons why you get a lot of the paranoid cinema you got in the '70s is because, you know, the kind of hippy dippy fun, let's get make love in the mud scenario had had died and went downhill and had become, you know, more pessimism. And uh, ugliness had kind of uh, breeded, you know, kind of came into pop culture. Well, You know, that Rolling Stone incident, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Too too all into that stuff. But, I mean, all that stuff is tied together into the way the culture changed. And um, certainly, you know, that hippie stuff, it's there. Altman was quite into that stuff, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah,
1: MASH, again, very counterculture war film, which was in in the midst of Vietnam, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it wasn't set in Vietnam, but, I mean, you could parlay that very much into or, or transfer that to being a vietnam film yeah uh certainly
2: so yeah i think that paranoia is all it all fits in yeah you know and it's certainly there and i'd forgotten about that whole angle as well i'd remember this film more as a character piece as opposed to such a strong narrative and it's actually got a really strong and complete narrative that i'd totally forgotten about
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, big time. Um, I love Dr. Varenger in this. I'll always remember, uh, like, my first performance, and I think you know where I'm going with this. My first performance seeing Henry Gibson on the big screen was in The Burbs. (laughs) Yeah, Henry Gibson's great, man. Man, I was about, how old was I? I was nine years old, and just, you know, him, that whole family knocked my socks off in that film. <laughs> yeah,
2: Henry Gibson's one of the most interesting act, character actors, I think, maybe in the history of Hollywood, because he commands so much screen time. Mm-hmm. I mean, not screen time, but, like, when he's on the on screen, he draws so much attention. and He's this diminutive little guy.
1: Yeah.
2: With a major comb over. But he is I'll so commanding. Uh, like he is like the opposite of what you think of when you think of, a uh, uh, this commanding imposing figure, he's like the total polar opposite of that. And yet every time Henry Gibson comes on screen, even in this film, he draws all the attention. I mean, we're talking, this little guy comes in and draws attention away from Elliot Gould and Sterling Hayden.
1: Yeah. That's no small feat.
2: No. And cause Sterling Hayden's one of the big, one of the great all time scene chewers. Oh Yeah. And I mean, and when he comes in, I mean, Sterling Hayden is chewing the barbecue pit. He's chewing the whiskey bottle. He's chewing everything. He's eating he sand, coral shells, conch shells. <laughs> yeah. You Name it, man. And Henry Gibson shuts him down with a smack.
1: Yeah, he does. He slaps the taste out
2: of Sterling's mouth. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he really does. <laughs> with that pimp hand. Yeah, he's got a strong pimp hand. He does. Absolutely. Had to reach quite high to get up there to Hayden, but he still it works.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> what else do we got here? I'll try to rip, rip through. I love the line. Uh, where is it? Oh, it was a bearded and drunk Hayden, which we talked about. Um, Gould's energy, we talked about. Um, little tidbit for everyone dried apricots give the Gould the diarrhea. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah the diarrhea. That's <laughs> um, again, that's, that's like, you know, it shows such a distinct lack of vanity on his part. Which I think, because of that, shows a confidence, which mm-hmm. is where the whole sex symbol thing comes in. Um, what else do we got here? Um, oh, and also Gibson was cast in Magnolia, right? So I have to think that the, the pull came from that. Me with the Coens with this. Um, also reminiscent of Fort Fairlane again.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I'm right. A well lot of the classic setup, certainly. But you know, this was getting absurd. Just like that gets absurd. Um, yeah. The, yeah,
2: I mean, there there is a difference between, obviously, a difference between the quality of film between Long Goodbye and Fort Fairlane. Oh, yeah. But it's obvious, looking back now, watching Long Goodbye, it's obvious that Rennie Harlan was strongly influenced by the Long Goodbye for Fort Fairlane.
1: Oh, yeah, big time.
2: And I yeah. like the LA that's in Fort Fairlane, too. I think we talked about that on. It's
1: uh, very much the show. 80s, <clears throat> late 80s.
2: <laughs> early maybe. 90s uh, oh. LA. Yeah, Bobby Black. Yeah. Right before the yeah, right before the grunge scene hit. Yeah, that's right, man. Go well because probably hair metal.
1: Yeah, Vince could still get like a, a good supporting role in a film. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, so. yeah.
2: Rennie Harlan fit in fine on the Sunset Strip with that yeah. uh, with that hair and everything.
1: That's <laughs> right, man. Uh, Mark Rydell's fun in this. Um,
2: he is. He is. He's surprisingly intimidating in this. Yeah.
1: Somehow he is. I love his line. I sleep with a lot of girls, but I make love to you. <laughs> yeah. His girlfriend.
2: He's got a lot of great lines in the film. He, he really does. does. I he mean, is he is really a he's a
1: bad. bizarre scumbag. Again, bizarre scumbag who we don't who says and does so many things that just come out of nowhere.
2: Yeah, I think that that scene reminds me of uh Paul Thomas Anderson's Boogie Nights cocaine scene. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You can see yeah. some influence there. Obviously that there are two different type of elements going on, but you can see that it's a scene that's 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 as it's going, it's accelerating and we don't know where it's going. Well at one point, you know, you get these muscle bound guys, everybody's taking their clothes off. One of the henchmen's like, I don't wanna take my clothes off. Yeah. <laughs> and well, it just escalates, <clears throat> just like that scene does. So you can definitely see the Altman influence there. Well, Altman, I feel like with that
1: scene when he does what he does to his girlfriend, I feel like that's a distinct nod to Lee Marvin's character in *The Big Heat* with the coffee pot.
2: Yes, yes.
1: I mean, it comes out of nowhere, and it's a shocking, cruel scene. Um, and I love. And this is just the perfect kind of like dick swinging heavy line. When right after he does that, he says, "That's someone I love, and you, I don't even like." <laughs> it's like, oh shit. Yeah, that's great. Um, <clears throat> what else do we got here? Good use of shadows again. It's kind of essential for the genre. Um, made a great Walter Brennan impression.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, that guy does do a great Walter Brennan. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, hey, Sterling when Hayden, I, go ahead. When I was growing up, everybody did Walter Brennan. <laughs> oh yeah, you. Everybody did that, man. Everybody. <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah, of that, course, you know he's one of the great character actors of all time. So.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, and I love, <laughs> I love that uh, that. Marlo like slows down a dude by getting the, the hacky security guard to do his shitty uh, celebrity impersonations.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. <clears throat> it's really funny. I,
1: that.
2: I actually love the uh, relationship between those, uh, those two characters. Oh yeah. No, it's good. I think it's really good. Uh, the, the one that's following, him, I should say the other henchman. I like that. Uh, Gould and him have this kind of, uh, kind of playful uh, antagonistic uh, relationship.
1: Yeah, definitely. String um, Hayden drinks out of the hugest fucking mug in the history of cinema.
2: <laughs> you know, I've seen interviews. I remember remember Azam, um, I was going to say his real name, but of course people who know him know him. Uh, I remember him posting some inter- YouTube interviews of with Hayden and he drinks out of the, that's the, the interview I saw with him. It's literally like he just stepped off and of a long goodbye.
1: Man, I don't <laughs> doubt it. I don't doubt so. it. Um, again, I love how everyone has an angle in this and,
2: uh, I'll say one more thing about that Hayden thing. There is a fantastic, this would be my make or break if I didn't like that Mark Riddell, uh, uh, Gould and Schwarzenegger scene so much, but, uh, that scene where the, the wades are talking and there's a reflection of Gould on the beach. Mm hmm. That is really well done. Man, that, that is really shot. Really well is, there's
1: a few shots like that through the glass. There's an earlier one from uh, uh, Gould's apartment too. That's really well done.
2: Yeah. I, although I do gotta say, <laughs> Steven Zagal has competition for the worst run because when Gould runs out to the beach that one night. Oh yeah. That run is bad.
1: Yeah. No, there it's true. Some
2: flipping and f- some slippy slappy hands going on there. Yeah,
1: the T-Rex. That's true.
2: <laughs>
1: very very he's true.
2: Doing, he's doing the rotation, you know the.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the
2: rotation's going
1: yeah he totally is um you know again just a great bizarre line because I think the the wife of what's her name Pallant, uh van Pallant, Eileen Wade says to him do you want to spend the night and he says just something that's just so unsexy he says if you got some some uh some cold mayonnaise bologna, and bread I'll stick around yeah, <laughs> yeah that's not what you want to hear is it <laughs> no definitely not.
2: Definitely. It sounds like a only you know, like diarrhea, but a little bit of wind as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not that I have a problem with that. I like some cold mayonnaise, bologna, yeah. and some bread. I'm okay with that. There you go. I'm a pig, though. <laughs> you can give me a half a pound of bologna, a loaf of bread, and some cold mayonnaise and a couple of beers, and I'm set for the weekend. Set for the weekend, man. That's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um yeah, you talked about the scene where everyone takes their clothes
1: off. Uh, brr, 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 brr. The ending's a surprise for me. You know, um, the first time I saw it, I was really kind of surprised, and not only the ending, but Gould's reaction, because what he does is something you would expect expect a lot more from in a film of this kind. But it's the only act of its kind in the film.
2: It, yeah, it, it it comes as a bit of a startle startling moment because. It does. Uh, And Altman wouldn't do the movie unless they agreed to keep that ending, because they were thinking about changing the ending. And so Altman said, "Hey, look, I'll do it, but you got to keep the ending. If you don't keep the ending, I won't do it."
1: Which is awesome because it just it fits in so well with the time and the type of films and.
2: It does, but I I have to agree with you a little bit, though. I did. I mean, now watching it, it almost feels because it's the only act of its kind. Mm -hmm. It feels a little not. I think it's fine. I think it works, but I, I do feel, boys. it feels a little disjointed from the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Somewhat. I understand why it's there. And
1: yeah, I think we can make, um, we can defend yeah, it I, from a, a character who, who was doing something for a friend. Yeah. I mean, he went through the fucking shit mill. Yeah,
2: his- and I really like that. Really? The, the thing that makes it work for me is the after effect of that, of the, cool character walking he sees the the other character in that jeep uh you know you get him dancing in the street that stuff really works well that's good yeah um as a matter of fact i expected did, did he jump up and kick his heels together because i almost expected he him did. to do that And you get yeah, that
1: old-timey halloween or halloween old-timey yeah. hollywood song
2: and it's really interesting th- that shift in tone because it, the film has a certain tone all the way through not that it doesn't have any darkness in it, because it does, but it has a certain tone, and then it kind of goes for it, and then it kind of shifts back to another tone. So it is an interesting – like, I don't think it's the perfect ending for the story, no. but I do think it's a suitable ending for the story.
1: Agreed. Agreed.
2: Suitable, but I, I – you know, off the air, I would tell you, you know, my – I don't want to give it away, because I'm sure there's people who haven't seen this. I mean, we should say – For a long time, I think the only release of this was on VHS and uh, like an MGM DVD, and I think it went out of print, and this became one of those movies that nobody would release for some reason. Yeah, I know. It's very Uh, strange. I don't know if it was right or it got tied up in the MGM thing or what it got tied up in, but for a long time, it wasn't available.
1: Yeah, I know. It was very strange, man. Very strange. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, is
2: that all your notes?
1: Yeah, that's it, man.
2: I don't really have anything else to add. I mean, I pretty much went over everything I needed to go over, so... I think that's the way these reviews are going to be in case anybody hasn't noticed. I'm on a phone and not in, uh, not, in the, not in the GG Studios, GG TMC Studios South. <laughs> I'm uh, definitely uh, not there tonight. So let's get into Maker Breaks. Uh, yeah, you, go ahead. you can go ahead and go first.
1: Yeah. Maker Breaks scene, there's so many scenes. I don't think there's one sort of crown jewel scene.
2: No, uh, there's so many. So I'm only picking one because it's the one I like the most. But, man, I could pick, I could pick five scenes off the top of my head. Oh yeah, no for
1: sure. I'm going to pick the scene though when he, he first goes to the treatment facility where Hayes is staying and it's it's really good, man. It's it's uh, I quite like that scene. MVT, I could go with Altman, but I feel like we're going to get to go with Altman other times. Whenever oh, yeah. whenever Gould's on point, I got to go Gould.
2: Yeah. I got yeah, go Gould. This is without a doubt, this is the well, I mean one of my notes is this is for me this is the Elliot Gould performance.
1: Yeah, it's for me. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's hard to argue, but I feel like all three of the, the films he did with with Altman just, just crushed yeah, for mean, me, man. Yeah, well,
2: Hawkeye is one of the great movie characters, oh, right?
1: So, so good, so good, and it's interesting that he and Sutherland, you know, they're like, you know, the bromance. They're just, they're just amazing and mashed together. And both of them played uh, between Clute and this, even though Clute's played much more seriously, still mm-hmm. very sort of. Um, Character, people that you wouldn't expect to be private eyes in their films, They're very unconventional yeah. private eyes, or or yeah. people
2: investigating, I should say, because very unconventional leading men altogether. Very unconventional. Uh, Ellie both,
1: yeah, both I think very free spirited. Uh, I love Sutherland, you know. Certainly, he was, of course, at a Raptors game about a month ago, uh, <laughs> which is which is awesome. But uh,
2: I love him as well. Of course, he's after the '70s. He seemed to have gotten typecast as the. Uh, as the heavy, or you know, the man in power behind the scenes in like almost every film he's done, and which up is to strange. the Hunger Ga- Yeah, the Hunger Games recently, which is now he's, you know, he's like the the president, the evil president, in the Hunger Games films.
1: Which is so strange because he was like, you know, very much the opposite of that for a long time. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah. yeah. Very
1: strange. Well, uh, you
2: know, he, you know, you gotta work, right? And, and you know, he yeah. does have. He, nobody can deny Donald Sutherland does have. You know, he has bad guy looks. Yeah.
1: The eyebrows. Something and He has a feline. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Um, my score is an eight point seven five. Man, this is uh, just nice. a tremendous film, man. Just yeah. and it gets better with viewing, more viewings, man. It's it's exceptional, and you know it may not work for everyone right away, but again, I think it's one of the one that you revisit it every year or two years. It's going to work more and more for you.
2: Yeah, I agree. My make or break is the stripping scene. Uh, it's just a great scene, not just because Schwarzenegger's in it. He is a very beefed up Schwarzenegger. Man, scene. he there looks
1: great. He looks great in this film. Yeah, he's flexing like every five seconds. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's just totally flexing.
2: <laughs> he is, He is, He's not even going to hesitate taking his clothes off. Like as soon as he says it, he starts taking them off. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, that's a great scene. There's so many though. There's so many. Uh, my MVT is also Gould. Uh, again, this is the Elliot Gould performance for me. In a uh, a career of great performances, um, including character performances in lesser films like uh, the big hit. uh, Yeah, that's right. Oh, what a he gets. Yeah, again diarrhea in that film too. (laughs) he seems to have like uh, gastric uh, uh, problems uh, in a lot of his films. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But I mean, he's an interesting actor. You know, he's always uh, he's always been good, and uh, it's you know great that. You know, this film's out on blue, and people will be able to see it and stuff. Uh, my score's just a tad bit higher than yours. I think, it, this, for me, this is a 9 out of 10.
1: Nice. I was going to go with that. I'll
2: be honest with you. The only thing in this film that doesn't take it up into the high nines for me is that disruption in tone toward the back end. Yeah. And it's not that I have a problem with it. I like it. It's just it comes, if you've never seen the film before, I think it's going to come as a shock.
1: Uh, I agree. I agree. I didn't love the ending when I first saw it either, but.
2: Yeah. Because I I don't know, you know, I don't know, I mean, I don't want to talk about it because it'll give it away, but, um, it just, it just, it comes out of nowhere and it just kind of disrupts the whole thing a little bit, but it's a nine out of 10 for me. It could be even higher though in the future, but I think it's a, I think it's damn, damn near a masterpiece and and easily one of my five favorite Altman films of all time.
1: But that's why I feel like it, um, subverts expectation. The ending does, but with what we've come to expect. Right, right, right. So, okay, cool. We are going to take a short break, and I had that breathless moment where I'm like, oh my God, did we record this review? Um, <laughs> we did, and it's uh, a wrap. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and talk about uh, thieves like us. We will be right back.
2: GGTMC, live for you, fresh air. Big Willie and the Samurai are at your service, breaking films down and turning them around, giving recommendations that are always on point. Visit ggtmc.com for more information. The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to the trash since 1977. And
1: we are back. And it is time to talk about 1974's Thieves Like Us. From Mr. Robert Altman, uh, I'll synopsize this film as uh, you will lead in it. Uh, uh, So, written by Anonymous, two convicts break out of Mississippi State Penitentiary in 1936 to join a third on a long spree of bank robbing. Their special talent and claim to fame. The youngest of the three falls in love along the way with the girl met at their hideout. And I think we'll leave it at that because this person is a long fucking winded. So, <laughs> neither one of us had seen, had seen this film. Um, what did you think about it?
2: Uh, I actually enjoyed this more than I thought I was going to. Nice. Uh, it it kind of starts out with a little bit of an odd tone as well, but very kind of, you get a big, you get a Cohen Brother vibe from the beginning. Uh, <laughs> I think I got a little bit of a. Oh, yeah. Uh, no Country for Old Men vibe, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I wondered if you got the same one. But, uh, mm. yeah, this has got an interesting cast. You got uh, Keith Carradine, who we've talked about before. Seems like he did his best work with Altman. Yeah. Um, It's interesting, his uh, career. I mean, he became a character actor. I've, he's still working now. He was on that Fargo TV show I watched. Um, playing an old sheriff and stuff, and he was great on that. He was great on that show, and I, it was a reminder of how good an actor he is, but he never really had a huge Hollywood career. No, he didn't.
1: And That's he funny, actually. Great- you know what? Sorry to cut you off, I just realized we had both Car- two of the Carradine brothers on the show this week.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it was odd. It was odd that it, uh, that it happened that way, but... Of course, David Carradine's uncredited in Long Goodbye, but uh, I think he just showed up. No one, David Carradine. He probably was just hanging around one day.
1: <laughs> yeah, smoking dudes with the Altman. <laughs>
2: yeah, probably yeah. Um, so you, this thing kind of opens like with a prison break or like a chain gang type break type situation. Uh, the transfer looks pretty good. There's a the sound is a bit blown out on this one. I gotta say, on the mm-hmm. my, my, at least it was when I watched it. I found the some of the sound to kind of be like over loud in spots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Yeah, and and then dialogue, quiet in spots. And Keith Carradine, we should say, is also part of that cast of The Angel, The Brute, and The Wise, that Enzo Castellari insanity that we hope happens. That's amazing. (laughs) We hope happens, you know, (laughs) because I mean, when you got a film that has Bud uh, Bud Spencer, Kane Hodder, and Terry Gilliam in it, (laughs) how can you not watch it, you know? (laughs) God, I hope that movie happens. (laughs) Oh, big time. (laughs) Um, so this film is basically a 30s, and our friend Mike Malloy was uh, joking around when I posted it that the 70s were obsessed with the 30s, but this film comes after, it comes after Bonnie and Clyde, correct? So yeah. So it does come after that, so you get some influence there. It's not so much Bonnie and Clyde-ish, although it does have some of those elements. There's a love story, um, there's, you know, some, some violence and things like that, but it's not quite as... I don't know what the word is. Maybe poetic, I think, maybe as Bonnie and Clyde is. Bon- or romantic might be the better
1: word. Uh, yeah, it's not as romantic, even though it is a romance. And I think a tender, sweet one, it's not as sort of yeah, – I think poetic. Uh, it's not as poetic a film in its execution and mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. melancholy. This one's more uh, tender but a little more kitchen sinky, not afraid to show peeling wallpaper and awkward. Yeah. people. It's not as glamorous. I really-
2: Yeah, I really like the camaraderie between the three leads, and at at, at some points in the film, they kind of dip away from each other because they're robbing banks and doing that kind of stuff, and so they dip away from each other to cover themselves and things, and that's fine, but the only problem I have with that is it it gets to a point where you're just like, you know, you kind of miss that a little bit. Um, The Michelle Duvall, uh, Keith Carradine, uh, I almost said Robert Carradine, try to get another Carradine in the mix. Yeah. Their interaction is good. That love story is good. Uh, It's kind of very sweet and naive. Uh, I like that. I like the whole angle with Carradine's character being a a kid who made a mistake. Maybe could have had a baseball career. Uh, I like the scene with him and the dog. I'm sure you probably knew I was going to like that. Oh, yeah. That was pretty good. I like that quite a bit. Um, The writing seems to be incredibly crisp on this one in particular. I don't know... uh, it was on the Long Goodbye as well, but I don't know. If, I don't know who wrote. I'm gonna find out who wrote this one. Um, a different but,
1: style of writing than Long Goodbye, certainly.
2: Yeah, yeah, certainly. Because I mean, you got a different type of. Uh, Joan Tewksbury worked on this, and Joan, I believe she was. Didn't she do? Uh, yeah, she did Nashville.
1: Oh, nice. And it feels yeah. more like that because there's these quiet moments between characters, kind of soul-bearing, without feeling showy or demonstrative.
2: Yeah, she did this. She did Nashville. She did Eyes of Laura Mars. Man,
1: what a great writer!
2: Yeah, she did Night in Heaven, which I believe is that uh, Christopher Atkins movie. Me, <laughs> the and, uh, <laughs> and <Roop. laughs> you
1: and Miles and Rupert.
2: Rupert, to say. Yeah. That. So and she directed a few things too. Uh, looks like she directed mostly TV though. I didn't know she directed a bunch of episodes of The Guardian. Isn't that crazy? That is, man. I didn't know that. Wow. Hey, you got to work. You know, got to work. Yeah. Doesn't look like she did very much in the realm of film, though. Mostly just TV work. That's crazy. Did a good writing with Altman and then directing TV shows.
1: you figure. <laughs> Maybe it was the only place she, she could get steady work, sadly. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, Alan Arkish does that now. Alan Arkish does a lot of TV. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you know, you know you got to work. Mm. Um, let's just say, I want to say this. Yeah, like the leads. I, I should I should mention all their names. you got Keith Carradine. You've got uh, John Shook, who plays Chickamaw. And then you've got uh, the... Uh, uh the Bird Remsen character, T Dub. Which, yeah, which is a like, yeah. T Dub's a true pervert of the highest nature. Oh, big time. Yeah. And uh Bert Remsen, I remember him and uh, it seems like he was in another movie we did. Uh where he plays an older character. I know he's in Code of Silence with Chuck Norris, but we haven't done that one. Nah. He did something. He he's in a lot of those action movies in the nineties and stuff, like playing the you know, the bad you know, the bad heavy behind the scenes, kind of guy, yeah, yeah, or something like that. So but it seems like he was in something we did, and I can't – I'm looking through. I am not seeing off the top of my head. But anyway, those are your three leads, essentially. And then, of course, Shelly Duvall's in there. And then there's a another uh, brother character, D Mobley, who's played by Tom Skerritt. That's right, man. Is one of those actors who I'm absolutely convinced was born with a mustache. Oh, yeah, and Skerritt's amazing, man. Yeah, Makes Skerritt, you, he – Great character, right? Yeah, yeah, he, that's the thing about Tom scare I think he's always remembered as, uh, you know, Dead. the character actor now. But he at one point in time, you know, he was an up and comer and he was going to be, you know, he's going to be a big star, you know. And uh, people were putting money in full feature films behind him and stuff. Yeah. Still would like to do that revenge film. I was just him. about to say that, man. Yeah, still would like to do that at some point. Maybe we we'll maybe we'll do that soon. I've been wanting to do that forever. Uh, anyway. Plays a character named John D'Angelo, and that I always remember that John D'Angelo. Uh, Louise Fletcher's in here as well, playing uh, Maddie, uh, smoking cigarettes, eating pie. You know, good old good old thirties. Yeah, man. When you could smoke a cigarette, eat some uh, red meat and pie, and drink milk at the table. oh yeah. <laughs> All those good old things.
1: <laughs> it's uh, it is interesting. There's some like almost like naively sleazy or innocently very sleazy things in this film. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, and of course, you know, the, the, there's some stuff to be said, too, about the, you know, like the t Dove character and the way he talks about that one actor, that one uh, a lady that, you know, he saw when she was knee high and, and all these things. And, uh, you know, they end up together and then you could talk, you could talk about the corruption of money and all those type of things that lead to that kind of stuff. But I think really this is more lighthearted than anything. It's really kind of a, except for, again, a bit of a strange shift toward the end yeah, the end again. Very. Uh, you you kind of see coming only because you probably have experience in movies. Yeah. Um, if you've never, I mean, because I've never seen this, and I know you had never seen this, but I could see the end coming. Although I got to admit, the the real ending, the second part of that ending, I did not see coming. No. Like the you know the development of that. Uh, Shelly Duvall's a, a woman after my heart in this film uh, uh, because she you know is constantly drinking Coca Cola. That, there's a um, lot
1: of that, and I wonder if that was sort of coming up, but I feel like that had to have been playing on the innocence and nostalgia and longing for innocence of that time. Yes. Because like, Coke yes. very much manufactured, um, not just an ad campaign, but sort of
2: a way of life. Well, it's the South, life. too, right? There's, yeah. They shot this movie in Mississippi. It's set in the South. Uh, obviously, more soda is drank in the South than anywhere else, uh, probably in the world, maybe. Uh <laughs> Uh, soda is just, it, it permeates every fiber of the South. I mean, it just, that's just the way it is, Like oh, yeah. sweet water. And so, I mean, that's just the way it goes, but it, you know, in those little bottles, when I was growing up, you know, we, we, we'd, uh, you know, we'd scrapins and, and uh, find pennies and stuff and go buy a little bottle of Coke, those little, those little minis. Uh, but then, you know, that was then, this is now, don't really do that now that's uh, right. just because, you know, I can't take that much sugar anymore <laughs> and oh. I don't ride a bike everywhere I go. I drive, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like how we learned about all the guys past on the radio and the newspaper. Or not on the radio so much, but the newspaper when they're reading it out loud. I like that. That's always a good way. The only thing they didn't have was the spinning paper we always laugh about.
1: Which yeah. Great.
2: Never see. This film does have one of the fastest zooms on a camera lens I've ever seen in any movie. <laughs> ever. Yeah. It's man, is that, the, is that not one of the fastest zooms you've ever seen?
1: Yeah, Japanese genre directors <laughs> of the 70s were like, they got a boner when they saw
2: that, man. <laughs> yeah, this thing was steady. I mean, it was like zoop, right in, and it, like the camera didn't shake or move or nothing. And I was like, man, did that just happen? I had to rewind it and check it out. I'll he does sense. it like twice, two or three times. Yeah. Uh, Life in the South, I can tell you from experience, is still quite similar to this in some ways. Chickens in the road, front porch, music and ball games, tobacco, uh, bread pudding and raisins. That's still a very popular dessert from here on down south. The film feels very
1: authentic to me, like, mm-hmm. and I like that. It doesn't try to be glamorous or overstate its country feel
2: yeah no it doesn't what i do like about it is it doesn't do the dumb country bumpkin
1: thing. yes which i hate i hate that as much as i hate the the wise guy like the italian accent i fucking hate that shit you
2: know you can take that stuff way too far if you're not careful and this doesn't do that either it does it it makes them just dim enough right where it's fine it's like they're they're smart they're cagey but they're also kind of dim
1: you know what this film totally reminded me of, again, to bring it to the Coen brothers? is and It's not as much of an odyssey, but no country. I, no, no, no. Um, uh, oh, brother, where art thou?
2: Yeah, that's what I meant to say earlier. I think I said no country earlier, but I meant to say, oh, brother, where art thou? Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I think that's what I said. I, I can't remember. You said I, no country. I, I did. I don't know why I said no country. I'm such a fucking lunatic. We got it right, though, before the end of the review. <laughs> yeah, we know what we're doing. Yeah. Uh I will say this, though, bread pudding and raisins, that the, the in the South, that works for both breakfast and dessert, so uh, that's just the way we roll in the South, you know, <laughs> that's the way it is, <laughs> you don't finish out the bread pudding at night, you eat it again in the morning. All right, yeah, well,
1: I'm more of a shaky pudding kind of guy, but, you know.
2: Oh, yeah, well, I mean, come on, yeah. but, you know, when you're a kid, you don't get as much shaky pudding action. That's true. So, you know, maybe a little stink on the pink, that's about all you get. Yeah. Uh... I really like the the kind of car scene leading to the uh, accident that happens, where they're kind of just driving cars. Life is good. That's a great scene. That is a, that is a great scene. It's shot well. Really I got that well. jazzy score going. I love that scene. Really good stuff. Uh, yeah, like we said, Carradine and Duvall's uh, relationship is very childlike, very innocent. And I thought I was going to get bored when they went to that cabin, but I actually ended up finding myself. Uh, even though I wanted the characters to get back together, I started to find myself really enjoying Carradine and Duvall at the cabin mm-hmm. with the little boy and you know, the talking and the dreaming and all that stuff and the throwing the baseball. And I started to really kind of get into that quite a bit and was almost like the Duvall character kind of upset when I realized that the Carradine character was going to go back. Um, again, it goes to some dark places and I didn't expect, uh, when he goes back, they do a job and, and some stuff happens. There we go. The uh, wonders get the wonder. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> It's smart to play some of it through the radio, obviously, because that saves you money. Um, the 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 Shuck performance is interesting. The uh, I forget his name. Uh, I told his name, but his last name Shuck. What's that actor's name again? I've seen him in stuff. John Shuck. Isn't that chicken character is interesting? Because he just keeps escalating. Like alcohol becomes more. And tell me, talking about an actor who has a Cohen Brothers face. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm actually surprised they haven't used him in some capacity. I'm actually looking through. He's on a lot of TV nowadays, but. I'm um, trying to look through and see if I can see him on anything where he pops up uh, on in a Coen Brothers movie, but I don't think he has, but he should have, for sure. But anyway, well, he's on some Love Boat. There you go. Nice. He's on Holmes and TV show in 76, 77 I never heard of called Holmes and Yo-Yo. Holmes and Yo-Yo. Yeah, he played a character named Gregory Yo-Yo-Yo Yanovich. Nice. That's hilarious. Sounds like a show I need to track down. Yeah, tell me about it. <sighs> anyway. He is, uh, he is good in the film, uh, the alcoholism and stuff, the escalation of it and stuff. It is uh, pretty surprising where his character goes as well. Um, the ending, yeah, like I said, it, it, it is a weird mix of tone. It works, I think, a little better than the long goodbye one mm-hmm. because you kind of see it coming. But it is still kind of surprising. And I did like some of the stuff with uh, – I like the scene with Carradine getting inside the prison. Oh yeah, sense of that warden. Mm-hmm. Like you know, he he's more interested in eating food and and of course that was a great uh, southern style setup right there. I mean, all that food right there was, you know, you notice you no know, everything was covered in butter and sugar because that's the South, you know. So, <laughs> oh man, if we can find anything and put butter and sugar on it, we do. It's heavenly. Yeah, it is heavenly. Uh, it's good, it tastes good going down, and uh, you know causes you problems later on in life. That's just the way it is. But oh for those those golden moments, it's a it's heaven. Um I yeah, I I, I like this more than I thought I would. I gotta say, uh, I didn't love it. But it's certainly good. Uh and I'd heard the name before, but I'd never really thought and tied it to Altman, which is weird. Yeah. Um but I really wish there was more time with those leads all together. I really I could sit there and listen to those characters talk. About the past and about jobs they've done and everything, and I did like the T Dub thing where he joke around and say, "This will be my thirty third bank."
1: Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, which I uh, really, I really like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I like it when they when they do the role play even with the kids. He jokes around and says, "This will be my thirty you know thirty fifth bank."
1: It is good, but I, I think like it's part, part of it. that thing of perpetuating the myth. You know, at a time when that's how between the radio and word of mouth things got spread, right?
2: Right. Yeah, that's all my notes. That's all I got.
1: I won't spend too much more time. We've gone longer than we we intended to, as as it's usually the case. Um, it's uh, yeah, we already mentioned oh, brother, more submer- subversion or subverting of genre. Um, oh man, I gotta quit go wandering. Wifey won't leave me alone. Um, so.
2: I don't know what I was trying to say there. Oh, um, whoa. I'm still here. I'm still here. You're still there. Yeah, I just had to mute myself for a second. I got something like, I got to take care of. Okay. Um, I like uh,
1: the radio stuff in this. It feels very much like Pennies from Heaven, which I also—I don't know if I'd mentioned I would mentioned—I watched that. The uh, Steve Martin film that I mentioned—I watched that. I must have mentioned that, right? It's. Uh, I think mean, you're still muted, and you need to be. But um Oh I didn't mention that. I must have mentioned it. Oh goodness gracious. (laughs) Um
2: show is starting to fall apart now, we're starting to run out of time, so now the show will derail as it always does towards the end when we're running close on time.
1: Okay, let me just...
2: uh, Like a silver streak, daddy-o. That's
1: right, man. But uh, the radio, how that sort of narrates for us, uh, narrates Mm -hmm. these people's lives, and and fills in blanks for us, much like it did in Benny's from Heaven, very much. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I don't want to
2: sound like an old fogey, but when I was growing up, man, my grandpa and I would sit on the front porch, and we'd listen to baseball games on the radio. Uh, So that's very nostalgic for me, uh, sitting around, listening to ball games on the radio. I mean, we could have watched it on TV. Yeah. But we... We uh, he liked that's the way he grew up listening about watching baseball games essentially so particularly that's what he would like doing of course he couldn't smoke cigars in the house either so that 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 attributed to that as well. <laughs> oh yeah man
1: that's that's exactly it yeah. <clears throat> Sorry I'm going to have to cough on the air here. Um, you know another thing I like about this film that again talking about the subverting of expectations in genre is we don't even see a single robbery in this. No. None. We don't need to. It's not really the point.
2: Well, you do see. You don't know no, that. Take it back. You do see one. It's the one that kind of goes south a little
1: bit. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But that's it.
2: Yeah. Nothing that's it. Else. But I like that. That's the way they do it, though, because I like that they leave them up to your imagination. Yeah, and it, it, it's and not because it's not a heist film.
0: It's, it's not, not about it's not that, that kind exactly. Of
2: film. Yeah, it's not about that. It's about these three guys uh, trying to. Trying to get straight, and not not get straight in the sense that they're going to stop robbing banks, but get straight in the sense that they're trying to get enough money to have to stop robbing banks. <laughs> That's right,
1: exactly. Um, <clears throat> so um, I love that someone they talk about the uh, what's his name Sheck there. Uh, Shuck there, mm-hmm. Shuck, uh, or no, it's the T, is it the T Dub character? No, 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 it's the Shuck character uh, who's really like pervy and gross. No, it's no, the it's, it's the shark. It's T W. It is How oh, they say he's like an octopus, eight hands going all at once, all <laughs> slimy and grimy. Oh yeah, <clears throat> it's amazing. You know, one thing. And again, I know Altman certainly had to be aware of this, but he just doesn't care because this isn't really about the facts or anything is, uh, or fact how how factually accurate some or realistic something like this would be is they're taking a big risk by using like this this family thing as a safe house. You know what I mean,
2: oh, yeah yeah, 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 but
1: again, it's not really about
2: that. Um, I think mo I think though more that was then you know, as whereas now you wouldn't do that at all, right? No, that would be the last place you do. You wouldn't contact anybody in your family because movies and pop culture informed us that we don't do that if we you know are gonna commit a crime, you stay away from family, but that's the first place you know most people most uh, authorities are gonna look for you because you know you're gonna go back to your family, so,
1: yeah, oh, for sure, for sure um and i love too that there's no gloss or artifice or like you said romanticism like there is and not this isn't um this isn't meant as a, a critique of of bonnie and Clyde, which i think is a superior film to this um because of the contrast with the violence and the sort of glamour of that film is kind of what makes it but you see walls peeling and cracks in the concrete and i just oh, i love oh. seeing all that and these no, no one's really like there's no like hunks in this or like bombshell women in this. I mean, listen, Keith Carradine, who's a good-looking guy, um, but he's not like, um, you know, he's not Daniel Green.
2: Yeah, know? and Shelley Duvall... And Shelley Duvall is your female lead. She's your love yeah, interest. Yeah, Shelley Duvall and Louise Fletcher <clears throat> aren't setting any fires. No, no. Keith, I Keith, mean, they're fine in the film. They're fine in the film. But even the, the, the other character that... Uh, that uh, young girl that, uh, what's his name, can't keep his hands off of. She's not even, like Lula and Latham, she's not even, like, Drop Dead Gorgeous.
1: Oh, she's geez, overmade he's the, up. She's and- the prettiest in the film, probably.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. I got a thing for Tom Skerritt. Yeah, that's right, man. He'll <laughs> scare it. Uh He's great. Um, yeah, that you talked about that piece with the jazz piece playing when they're casually kind of racing down the road and, and the violence after the accident was actually kind of shocking. Again, I wasn't expecting that. Mm hmm. You know, that, was, we, that
2: was shocking. I agree.
1: And the reason that's so shocking, and one of the reasons it's most shocking, or the reason it's most shocking is, I'll tell you what, man. Anyone who's been married, your wife's hair ends up in your underwear and your pants. and
2: <laughs> Everywhere. Everywhere, man. If you've been married or if you live with a woman for an extended amount of time, or a long-haired dude. Yeah. Uh, Hair is everywhere.
1: It's true, man. This is no joke. I was adjusting the waistline of my Zubaz and I was like, man, (laughs) what is this? Is this like a thread or a tag or something? What is this? Nope. Um, But, uh, yeah. And just the the way that piece, it's great because we've been with these characters for almost an hour Mm -hmm. and we haven't seen them been violent. Yep. So that makes it violent.
2: Uh, Yeah. It really makes it stark. Um, It's really another one of those crazy shifts in tone. It seems like Allman really liked doing that. Like, he liked kind of punching you in the gut because even later, the films like Shortcuts and stuff, he was doing stuff yeah. like that. Or punching you in the gunt. Yeah, in the gut. You're yeah. gun puncher, dare Um, I love
1: the. Uh, I love that the. A lot of this film, too, feels like stories and myth, and this is my 33rd bank, and the, the, there's comic books that wallpaper the walls. I feel like. All of that kind of plays into the naivety and innocence of Duval and Carradine because I really love their dialogue. It feels like a lot of the stuff they spout is lines they've heard on the radio. Like they mm-hmm. do seem like way in over their head, innocent kind of young, like a young kind of couple. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Big time. And you know what else is a bad move is, is when she leaves two eggs on a frying pan that's on. That's a bad move. Those eggs are going to burn
2: quick. Yeah, you gotta be you gotta be quick on the <clears throat> eggs on the front, pan.
1: Man, you can't fuck around. You gotta keep those eggs on medium constantly, and <laughs> you're gonna burn those eggs. You leave those things, especially if you've already flipped them to harden that yolk for an over medium. You got about twenty seconds, man, or you're not dipping jack shit. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, yeah. That reminds me that that concoction that Gould made in Long Goodbye—that uh, raw egg and cottage cheese. Even I'm not going to eat that. That's a lot of protein. But hey, even Rocky doesn't eat his eggs like that, man.
1: Man, between that and <laughs> the baloney and mayonnaise thing, and no wonder that an apricot. No wonder that dude has diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, man, that guy's and all the coffee and smoking, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, man, um, but I love the the sensitivity, insecurity, and vulnerability we see in the quiet moments between Duval and Caradine.
2: Yeah, I, that that, I that ended it, up being my favorite bits of the movie. Yeah. It ended up, I really like the three leads, like their baby My, well, I mean, we'll get into it when we get into MVTs, but what I really ended up liking was that whole cabin scenario and those scenes where Shelley Duvall is kind of getting, uh, you know, charmed and the yeah. way she's so surprised that somebody would charm her.
1: No, exactly, and I like those scenes. Um, interesting tidbit, the cottage that they stayed in was cottage number 13. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, those are all my notes.
2: All right, Uh, my make or break with this one, I like the bathtub scene. I like that scene a lot, not just because Shelley Duvall is very nude. Yeah, no, I'm with you. But I like the kind of sweetness and the hominess of it. And, uh, you know, that kind of comfortable kind of life you develop when you live with someone or you marry someone or whatever, Uh, male or female, whatever your vice Mm -hmm. or dog. I don't know. But whatever the case, uh, you know I like that because it it really reminds you know it's it's like that it's a dangling carrot of what life could be like if he wouldn't keep going back to the the other life. Oh man! So, you know, and he needs
1: that life to help this life. Out. It just it, the way it's betwixt in between is really great.
2: Yeah, uh, MVT's the three leads together. Uh, Carradine is really great in the film, but I really like it when they're all three together. They're really quite the charming uh, criminal threesome. To say the least. Mm-hmm. It very much reminded me of the old... Brother uh, Where Art Thou, man. Oh, Brother Where Art Thou, you know, brother, where art thou uh, camaraderie between Turo, Tim Blake Nelson, and uh, George Clooney. Totally. Uh, my score for this film, 7 out of 10. I think it's solid. It's good. I uh, was surprised I liked it as much as I did. Uh, I did think that one scene in the beginning was funny with the pot-smoking guy when he's sitting there going, I know. He goes, you ain't going to fool me. I know you're still there.
1: Yeah, that was good, man. <laughs> That was good. I'm
2: laughing my ass off at of that. You ain't going to fool me. <laughs>
1: I would have laughed a harder, but I'm on the verge of coughing. That was good, man. I like yeah. that. <laughs> man, I need a Ricola, yo. <laughs> I'm going to sound like
2: Zom's Toothless talking. You
1: <laughs> ain't going to fool me. Oh, man, I love that. You know, my favorite <laughs> moment ever with uh, – and I think about it the most random times when I'm eating up my lunch at work or I'm in the shower or I'm putting socks on. Is when uh, Zom came on our show and he goes he goes dip 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 and when he goes oh, oh we got the big bop, baby, the big bopper here tonight folks <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> oh man the big bopper the big bopper <laughs> um but uh, where were we oh you gave me your scores so I guess it's my turn now yeah I'm gonna bop on over here and give my uh, yeah stuff Make or break. I like the scenes with the and Carradine, man. The bathtub scene, I think, is probably the highlight of that. Uh just good stuff, man. Like I said, they feel like they're about eighteen to twenty-one, you know, kind of simple, you know, country folk that uh, not stupid, just simple. They've they've grown up in a time when, you know, where you lived was where you live, man. Like you don't really travel too far. It was expensive, it was the depression. You know, it uh yeah. oh, oh, Sammy's yeah, getting ready to unleash travel. the beast, release the hound.
2: Yeah. <laughs> the- <laughs> the uh, the uh, Yeah, traveling was uh, very expensive, but not only that, I mean, those cars, those old cars were not really built for, you know, driving completely across the country. So, no. you know, there was a lot of people that would drive like from county to county, but you would typically just stay in, you know, if you're in Mississippi, you're staying in Mississippi. Big time. And you could rob banks in Mississippi and just move around from county to county because, you know, the lack of communication and technology That's was kind of hard. Oh, man. Yeah. To catch bad guys, the bad guys.
1: That's yeah, true, and no DNA, no quote, no uh, no uh, forensics, yeah. none of that jazz. MVT's Duval and Carradine, man. I really yeah. like them together. Really like yeah, that Yeah, they're stuff. good. And uh, scores actually surprisingly a little bit higher than yours, a 7.25. This is a film that's in no rush to get where it's going, and it, it's mm-hmm. it's just very kind of laid back. And
2: We should say the disc also has a, a carryover of the commentary Altman did, I think, for the DVD hmm so uh definitely worth a listen i listened to a little bit of it dalman's uh very good on commentary they talk oh, yeah. about his choices and stuff and kind of get into the details he likes to get into like you know costuming and things like that so very interesting stuff
1: no big time big time so those are uh, all my notes
2: okay that's it
1: that's the show that's the big show dear. bye so next week what uh what do we get into
2: Uh, well, on my side, uh, you know, we'll be doing a lot of cramming, so we're going to be watching a lot of quality movies. We watched some pretty quality stuff this week. It's pretty serious stuff. So I thought we, you know, we got to amp it up. We got to make sure our quality matches. So next week on my end, we're going to do Tough and Deadly from 1995, Uh, Billy Blank's Roddy Piper.
1: Oh, man, this is a lot of fun. This is shot in Toronto, if I remember correctly.
2: I think uh, Piper plays a character named Elmo Freach. Oh,
1: man. (laughs) I think in this one, Billy Blanks has a hot sister.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The only thing that could make it better is if Billy Blanks actually played the hot sister. Oh, that would be amazing. But, yeah, we're going to do that. I just wanted to do some, uh, you know, straight-to-video action stuff. So I was looking through my piles of straight-to-video action, and I saw Tough and Deadly, and I was like, we've never done a Blanks and Piper joint. So we got to do one. The well, Go guys have been doing them. We got to do one.
1: Oh, man. I have so much to choose from.
2: I'll find out where she's at. I'll look for her. Who's Sandpiper? No, no. Somebody's <laughs> asking me a question.
1: Uh I guess I better pick something. Clickety-click, Barba Trick. Um...
2: It's funny you mentioned you got yours picked. I was like, yeah, it sounds like I was all ready to go, but I literally picked that film this morning.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. I'm going to, uh, man, okay, we're going to, uh, fuck, I'm kind of torn here.
2: I was going to pick another film that I think would have been in the nines for us, but I thought, <laughs> man, we just did one. It was mm-hmm. up toward there. I want to do something that you know, has the potential to be a seven and a half, but just maybe crazy fun.
1: Yeah, yeah um why don't we i was gonna go with some real junk i was gonna go with one oh man that's the problem when we got the opportunity to pick it's it's so much pressure because you want it to be something fun you get excited for the free picks
2: yeah you do that's, and we got so much stuff that we can pick from it's almost like you you become you you're, you end up netflix queue surfing right you end up looking and looking and looking and never watching
1: <laughs> no, it's true. You know, you could spend hours. Okay. Uh, we are going – fuck this, man. I want, I've want. i wanted this guy to get on the show for some time. We're going to take it to 1981, France, Gerard Depardieu, uh, Yves Montand, and Catherine Deneuve in choice of arms. Oh, nice, nice. You I've know. never seen that. Yeah, two men break out of prison. Ravel gang ambushes them once mortally wounded and tells the other to take him to the estate of a retired robber. Ooh. I've never
2: seen that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that.
1: So that should be uh, that should be interesting.
2: Uh, nice. A list of shamer, maybe coming uh, off my list. I don't know if I have so. a list of shame, but I I do have films I haven't seen, and that's definitely one of them. I want to see lots more Depardieu. That's one of my. Uh, well, if you do, just watch some of his uh, one of his more recent films where he played that guy. He shows his penis. You'll see a lot more Depardieu.
1: Well, he's probably going to show his cock in every film from the '80s because he was a heartthrob <laughs> then, and that's how the French roll.
2: Yeah, he well, he's not afraid. Yeah, he's not shy. He'll show man. that uh, he'll show that DeParDank.
1: Yeah, the DeParDank man <laughs> trying to show us the DeParDonk. <laughs> um,
2: we all, I wonder, if it, I wonder if it looks like his nose. Ooh,
1: bulbous. <laughs> oh, bulbous. Oh, jeez. I hope not, man.
2: Like an apple tied to a pencil or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a better that than a pumpkin to a popsicle stick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We almost picked a film called Successive, which would have been the greatest title in the history of titles on the show Successive Slidings of Pleasure. Ooh. Another French film, which we'll probably cover at some point. So
2: Nice. A choice of arms and tough and deadly. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> Man, Depardieu and Piper together at last.
2: Yeah. That isn't a Depardieu and Billy Blank's action
1: cop Oh, movie. buddy cop movie? That would, that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. I'm thinking of fucking Piper. Get it, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, JJ. <laughs> Fuck's sakes, man. <laughs> I almost picked the Chiba, ironically, so and
2: there we have it. So yeah. that's the big show this it's week. It's always fun to get Yeah, it's always fun to get Piper back on, but Piper and Blanks did I think like what did they do? they did, like three or four films together?
1: Yeah, they did. They were uh they were like the Bogey and Bacall of uh of late 80s early, <laughs>
2: early yeah, 90s. Yeah, that's exactly what they were. <laughs> <laughs> the Bogey and call of 90s action cinema. 80s
1: and 90s action cinema, man. Yeah. So there you go. It's uh, I guess with that being said, there's only one thing too left to ooh
2: left to say. <laughs> That's our <a> bulbous adios. <laughs> adios.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206 5207 and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.